So if maybe just like, and, and maybe it, it won't work for every episode, but if we just want to like hit record as we start the call and then we can figure out like what to actually put in there after. Yeah, as soon as we get the but, really good joke where we're like, yeah, we should, we should start the recording now. Like, like that's the best is when you just come up with an off the cuff joke and then you get to put it in and then the music comes in and then you get to start the episode. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 189 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee. Hey Lee. Hey Chris. Uh, so today, we can talk about a lot of things. We can talk about our Pioneer tournament that we just covered for Mana Traders, which is actually pretty cool. Pioneers is more fun than many people give it credit for, I think. Well, I think that's just because people don't think about it. Mm-hmm. Like, you think about modes of magic you can play, and it's mostly standard and historic. Yeah. And if you want to play Moto, it's mostly modern and legacy, and that's just, like, kind of a byproduct of mm-hmm. COVID freezing everything, so you just play the formats you've always been playing. Yeah. <laughs> and Pioneer's just kind of left out of the dark of that, but it's not a bad format. It's, like, pretty diverse, pretty good games. Like, they're all pretty back and forth. There's no, like... A lot of times playing standard or modern, sometimes it feels like you're playing a matchup lottery. Yeah. And Pioneer, I mean, there's not none of that, but it feels like way closer than standard is. Yeah. And shockingly enough, our tournament was won by Is It Phoenix in the hands of Fabrizio and Terry, which is, yeah. you know, have not been paying close attention to the development of Pioneer, but Phoenix is a deck I gave up on a couple of months into the format, and it hasn't gotten anything, so pretty wild to to see that happen. Yeah, I think it was just a, like, a confluence of metagame decisions more than, like, the deck being very strong. Yeah. But it did, they did look impressive, mostly because all the Pioneer decks right now are just playing uh, mostly creatures. And yeah. Is of Phoenix is basically a control deck and pioneer. There were a lot of shock targets in that tournament, which makes Phoenix pretty good. Yeah, and it doesn't hurt that all the people playing Jeskai Transmogrify, like we saw on, on camera, uh, they would just go for 1-1 one, one shark tokens and tra- try to transmog them, and they would get shocked yeah. or wild slashed or whatever. It's just like, you, you could have just set up a Birth of Melodus token or played Yorion mm-hmm. and then had Lightning Axe be the only thing that stops you, but no. <laughs> Yeah, we, those are the, like, my opponent has no agency plays or something like that. I don't know who is the one without agency here, but definitely, like, somebody is acting a little bit like an NPC. Speaking, oh, can I rant about the, the four-color transmog sideboards, too? Because I did this <laughs> yes, when we were leaving. do it. But, oh, God, they're so, so terrible. They're built entirely around the Raven's Warning. Yeah, the Raven's Warning makes a token, which is why it's in the Transmogrify deck. So you can Transmogrify the token into Agent of Treachery. Mm-hmm. And it has a cool Chapter 2 where you get to see their hand and draw a card with your bird. And Chapter 3 is a neat little tutor effect that's really slow and kind of clunky. Uh, you have to put the cards you wish for on the top of your library. Mm-hmm. So you don't draw it until the following turn because Sogs don't happen until your main phase. Or you can have like an Omen of the Sea or something. But the, you only have four of those in your deck. Yeah. <laughs> but... Despite these drawbacks, and like the drawbacks just inherent in having a wish board, which is that you don't have sideboard space, everyone was playing Ordovan's Veto 
11 singleton unplayable cards. Well, 10, because there's a Yorion in there. Yes, 10 unplayable singleton cards, one of which may be a second Yorion. Yeah, there were a lot of second Yorions. <laughs> the thing is, I watched these matches almost all weekend. It was the second or third most popular deck in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Everyone had these like same kind of sideboards, four Dones Veto, 11 singleton cards. And I saw people wish for like Dream Trawler. That's kind of it. Yeah. No one really wished for anything that was relevant. And uh, they couldn't sideboard. They went to sideboarding every game two and three and couldn't sideboard a single card. <laughs> yeah, and that's really rough. You know, then you just don't have stuff for a deck like Phoenix. Like a, a deck that's attacking on a weird axis and there are powerful Haymaker cards that you absolutely could sideboard, you know, if you wanted a bunch of Narsets in your board or something like that. And that could be good in other grindy matchups but you don't have space like what are you wishing for you know even if you spend even if you want to spend like four slots on your raven's warnings then you can put like a value engine slash threat like dream trawler a counter spell a wrath and like a disenchant and that like that isn't that like 90 percent of the things you would ever wish for like when are you? Yeah, and that's like what you want in your sideboard anyway. Right. You don't want to wish for like Void Winnower or Possibility Storm or a Yorion. Like these things just, I mean, they can theoretically come up, but they don't come up near as much as you look at your sideboard game too. And Dovin's Veto isn't good. And you're like, well, guess we're uh, just submitting again. <laughs> right. I, I was playing some Raven's Warnings in Standard and I started out with a couple of slots devoted to wishing for it, and by the end of playing it, I had no slots devoted to it because my sideboard already had some counterspells, some wraths, a planeswalker. These were all cards that I boarded in in some matchups, and it covered my bases. And you play those matchups in game one, and you're you Raven's Warning, and then you get your planeswalker, and you're like, all right, cool, glad this isn't some random card that I pulled that I would never play. Right, like, just... <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree completely with you about this. It, it, and and you don't wish that often because you often like really do want to set up Blinking the Raven's Warning. Yeah, with Yorion, which is an excellent card with Fire's Invention, which is still legal in Pioneer mm-hmm. and very good. Yeah. And so that delays your... Anyways, this isn't what we're talking about today, but I do agree with you completely. It's We were talking about Pioneer and it's important because I still see it and it's really aggravating. Yes. But what we do want to talk about today, you know, we've been getting lots of Strixhaven spoilers. Uh, Rather than do Strixhaven spoilers, I kind of wanted to do something a little bit different. We have the entire Mystical Archive spoiled, and that creates a whole bunch of new cards legal in Historic. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Historic and then do basically a, a constructed set review of the Mystical Archive. And I think this is a place where we can be really useful to a lot of our listeners because these are, you know, you and I have been playing Magic for a very, very long time. These are all cards that we have played with and against a lot, like for for years. And so if we have any listeners that are mainly arena players or newer players, um, we can give sort of a historical perspective on, you know, this is not just us evaluating cards at first blush, this is us talking about where they have been useful, where people have thought they would be useful, but it didn't work out. Like, I think we can give some real historical perspective on the applicability of these things. Yeah, like, for, for instance, Mind's Desire is one of the cards everyone's hyping up. Mm-hmm. Like, for good reason. It's a historically very powerful card. That card came out in 2003. Mm-hmm. 
I believe, which was, you know, 18 years ago. Yes. <laughs> it's almost legal <laughs> as an adult. <laughs> and you can't play it in any format. It's banned in every format except for Vintage, which it's restricted in. It has been restricted ever since it was printed. Yeah, there have been just more Minds Desires cast in Vintage Cube than like all the other formats combined for the past many years. Except, yeah, yeah extended it was legal and extended right. for a while that was the only format you could play four of it in and i actually did play extended at that time when you could play like lotus bloom and all of invasion sacrifice lands mm. to like mind's desire and one of the busted things about mind's desire is you could just buy desire into other mind's desires right. it seems obvious when you talk about it but like you look at it at face value it's just like oh i know this card's busted because it's on a bunch of ban lists but how do we make a deck with it Right. And so I, I think that is a place where we can we can be helpful. One thing that I think that we are going to need to be careful of is uh, reading the cards because we're going to assume that people know what these cards do, but a lot of them like haven't really been available for a lot of our listeners. So I, I'm going to try to make sure to read or at least recite the the what the cards do for most of these in order to so everybody can keep up. Before we get into the archive, though, I kind of just want to talk about historic a little bit and talk about like what give a baseline for like what we're going into uh, and putting these cards into. I, I think that like a key thing to like one thing that I want to say is that I don't care about historic. It looks bad and unfun to me, uh, including watching the PT this weekend. It looked bad and unfun. Auras and you know, Jun Food is a cool deck, but we played a lot of Jun Food in Standard, and it's like in every format as well. It's a huge deck in Pioneer still, so right. So like that being the defining card of the metagame is just like yeah, this is the format where like Standard decks go and the really good ones like stay good, and it's just like you know, big Standard is always the worst type of Standard, and this is just really big Standard. That, that's how I felt about Historic. Really big standard, except for Black gets a bunch of busted cards. Right. But the Mystical Archive has me thinking a lot about Historic and excited to see what happens and really hopeful that that is going to change and that this is going to be a format that I do enjoy playing. Yeah, I, I feel similarly. I The Historic, what are they called? Anthologies? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is a good version of that, basically. That's what those could be. Yeah, like the, the historical anthologies, there's four of them. And from those anthologies, I think they're about 15 cards-ish. There's 25 in the fourth one, so I'm going to say like 15 to, to 30 cards in them. Because I know they didn't all start out very large. Among the four anthologies, about 100 cards, give or take, there's like 10 playable ones. Historic Anthology 4 is just like a list of magic cards, some of which you knew existed, and some of and which... some of which could have easily been reprinted in the respective remastered right. sets. Right! Like, you're just gonna give me Inspiring Statuary now? Like, why didn't that make the cut in the set? Like, Adorned Pouncer wasn't in Amonkhet? There's like five or six Amonkhet or Kaladesh cards. Like, what? Wasn't... Oh, no, that was Regal Caracol. It was Regal Caracol that was like a buy a box promo for, uh... The, the set online mm -hmm. it wasn't a door pouncer okay wrong cap but yeah just super weird what they've been doing and the last historic anthology was just like three of inspector and death shadow right 
and and the rest just like hits like a like a a wet banana peel just trash it's so weird and because anthologies have kind of been like that for four anthologies it's pretty much made me think that historic is just big standard mm-hmm. with some random cards thrown in from uh historic anthologies every now and then and then like whatever random crap they decide to print in the remastered sets like the invocations for Amonkhet and the <laughs> sculpting steel from kaladesh mm-hmm. was the only one that they added yep but i i like that they're just like kind of going ham here and throw in like historic was kind of a joke to me as a format rules wise mm-hmm. because it was kind of hard to tell what was in the format ever since jumpstart yeah like i get that it's every card in arena but like what does that mean like what cards are on arena right yeah that's that's one and, that's really hard to like put in your head but if if historic like ends up pulling its own identity out of the cool cards that get put into it then that may be you know there's a cost to it being confusing what's in there but if there's a payoff then the cost can be worth it and i, and I feel like this came about I, I don't think they would have independently just put this on historic but they realized that when they're making the thing in paper uh, this is just, i don't know if this is true this is just what i think it takes up a comment slot it's like a bonus sheet mm-hmm. on like times War remastered but this that's supposed to be drafted with that card right and if you want to have that experience on arena that means you have to put a ton of cards at arena that otherwise you just couldn't be able to play with at all right right yeah so the easy solution and a good one is just shove all those cards into historic yeah and I, I i do think that's a really good solution like you open these cool cards you want to be able to put them into decks there's a format for that generally as a concept i love the mystical archive i think these cards are gorgeous both the english and the japanese versions of them i i just i think they really kind of knocked it out of the park with the look of these cards and the feel of them the the sort of storytelling in them where they're these kind of you know ancient spells that the students are studying and learning how to cast which works for most of them but not quite all of them but but it's cool it's a, a peek into magic's past like through the eyes of the wizards of strixhaven and it's done the presentation is just fantastic and i it makes me want to buy i don't know if i'm gonna buy if i want to buy boxes or whatever but I looked at this and I realized like, oh, I'm actually going to collect this. Like, I'm not much of a collector, but I want a binder that's the full Mystical Archive and, and maybe a binder that's the full JPN one if I can afford that. <laughs> They're all really cool looking. Yeah. And that's like a huge draw. I, I like it a lot. Like the Gift of Estates, which is a card. I know she's playing Commander, mm-hmm. but I have never once considered casting in my life. Right. Because <laughs> I, don't, I don't play Commander. And that's like a really pretty card, mm-hmm. the Gift of Estates, like Mystical Archive. Yeah. Yeah, that just huge design and, and flavor win here. I'm very much in support of the Mystical Archive. One thing that I do not like is that the printed rarities on the cards, are there's no commons. They show up in every pack, but there's uncommons, rares, and mythics. And so, like, a bunch of the cards are, like, really upshifted. Like, Faithless Looting is a rare, and Brainstorm is a rare or a... I, I don't know, but these, rare. Yeah. these are going to devour your wild cards, and that feels really on purpose and really shitty. It, it feels really bad, too, with, um, well, like, Brainstorm and Looting, you're like, ugh, these are rares now, but they're so powerful, you kind of 
you know, he, whatsoever. But when you get to like compulsive research, mm -hmm. which is kind of like a divination variant, is also a rare. Yeah. You're not, no one's excited to do that. Right. Like you want to try it out. Maybe this is the best three mana draw spell. Maybe it's not. But now I got to craft three of them to try it in my control deck. Uh, and do you know the reason that they're, I mean, other than just like money, I guess. Some cards are rare and other cards are uncommon. Um, I mean, I assume for the limited format, but. Maybe, but they specifically said only uncommons from the Mystical Archive. Or I guess I should say it like this. Every card in the Mystical Archive that is uncommon is legal and standard already. Oh, I see. Okay. That's why random cards like Gift of Estates are rare and revitalizes just an uncommon in the set because it's already legal and standard. <laughs> and they just... It's really obvious for white cards in specific. I know we were talking about this earlier. Because there's no like, good white it. spells in standard to put in those uncommon yeah. slots. It's it's revitalized. Streak. Well, there are good white spells in standard. But that are like uncommon and lower because mm -hmm. they're not going to put rares as uncommons in a set. Mm -hmm. But they're all adventures and doesn't work. That doesn't work. Right. <laughs> huh. Interesting. I will say one more thing, like good thing about Mystical Archive before we move on to the next thing. Yeah. Is that between Mystical Archive and the Time Spot Remastered bonus sheet, I want them to do this in every single pack. Yeah. Just to depress the price of cards, because it's so ridiculous. Like, have all the fancy, cool versions that you want. It still affects prices of all the non-fancy versions, mm -hmm. which is really good. And if you just have a card in every single pack that is devoted to just lowering the price of some card previously printed, Magic's a game that's been going on for over 20 years at this point. Just keep printing cards over and over and over again. I, I guarantee the game will just keep going. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, and because, like... The audience keeps growing and these old cards aren't available in the number. You know, I was looking at all of the cards as I was preparing the the notes for today. And I noticed that Tainted Pact is a $100 card because it was printed only one time way back in Odyssey block a, a million years ago. And it's like EDA, it's commander playable. It's It's basically a demonic tutor and commander as long as you don't as long as you make your lands not screw you up. Uh, so that's enough to make it like a $100 card. The Odyssey versions are not going to be a $100 card after this thing comes out. So Yeah, and you, you mentioned this to me, and I specifically remember opening this from a Chinese pack of Odyssey, like a Tainted pack. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I remember that is because it is in Chinese, so I had to look it up what it did. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this card's like not very good. <laughs> I don't know where that card is. It's probably got thrown away. Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, one thing that we do have to address sort of in our talking about the conceptualization of historic. And now this is this indicates some level of a sea change because they are just like putting in a bunch of cards at once that are absolutely going to change the texture of the format. But there are seven cards in the mystical archive that they have determined already are too powerful and they're not going to let us play with in historic. And those are channel counterspell, dark ritual, demonic tutor, bolt, natural order, and swords to plowshares. The flame tongue copy rule of historic. If wizards thinks you're too powerful, you're just not allowed to play before you get a shot. Yeah. And I really wish that they had just kind of like, obviously some of these are too good and would get banned at some point, but it would be such as channel. 
<laughs> it would be kind of nice to not have to have been asking like oh is that historic legal like every time something got spoiled because i didn't realize they had already announced all of the banned ones well they didn't oh they didn't okay no they kept revealing them as people uh, so this was one of the frustrating things about the spoiler season they they let the content creators who were spoiling the cards tell whether or not they're historic legal that was up to them and no one did it. No one cared. Right. You forget or whatever. So then they would go to some like wizards channel and then ask, is this legal and historic? And every single time they'd be like, yeah, it's legal and historic. And sometimes they would go, no, it's not. And then whenever they were spoiled and it said, no, it was not, then it would be updated on the webpage okay. after it was spoiled. Gotcha. So you still had to ask every single time. I see. Yeah. So I, I wish they had just let us play with all of them. In particular, because a couple of the really potentially powerful cards, I don't know how busted the Storm ones are going to be. Like, they're not guaranteed to be great like some of these ones are, like some of the banned ones are. But, you know, they're willing to give us some potentially super broken cards. Maybe just give us all of the super broken cards and then just use bands to let it play out. Like, I mean, isn't that what the suspended list is even for? Right. And like it's on Arena. There's so little cost to banning a card on Arena because you get refunded your wild cards. Just like screw up the format for a little while. The PT just happened. There's no serious historic. Like we can just go get beat up by nonsense for a while and then the we can get some bans. Yeah. People will channel will log into play for a few turns and then we ban it and then we go to the next card. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's fine. And I, I wish that that was more their approach to the format. Like with Jumpstart, I, I like I don't get the like ban flames on Kavu put Muxus in. Like, <laughs> are you serious? Apparently. I mean, I, I think, you know, a, a secondary part of this discussion is I think people like vastly underrate how powerful and oppressive swords to plowshares and counterspell in particular are when they're talking about these cards i that that was really obvious to me in counterspells when everyone was campaigning for it to be legal in modern horizons and in case you haven't noticed for the last like year and a half blue has been the best color in modern right. <laughs> <laughs> so it clearly did not need counterspell like in every smaller format negate is like a three or four of in a lot of sideboards in modern we sideboard multiple negates or disdainful strokes like that's a thing in modern is these two mana situational counterspells that you bring in at the right time you take a two mana counterspell that literally just counters everything including creatures like that card's going to be extremely good like i i feel like everybody who really wants counterspell to be legal in historic and even in modern this badly like has not played in the formats where counterspell was good it's and that is reasonable right because the last time counterspell was printed was in seventh, seventh edition. edition yeah yeah that was a really long time ago. it was before i started playing magic right but you know i am here to to report from the before times to just like counterspell is a really frustrating card to know that your opponent has four of them in their deck and you know they're on the play they can start doing it on turn two like it's a it's a super tempo positive way to have counter spells in your deck that never go dead over the course of the game and swords to plowshares as well one mana exile a creature no drawback in the vast majority of decks that it's in is so oppressive to play in creatures and it doesn't matter what creature like you're an aggro deck and all your creatures cost one and two mana well this card's great against you 
you're trying to put together like some pieces like a mayhem devil and something this card is insane against you there's no way to play creatures that this card doesn't just crush your dreams even in legacy sometimes it feels unfair to get your tarmogoyf swords and you never play a creature that costs more than two mana in that format uh you can't play a a big standard format with swords of the pot like I, I, I do still think that they should have made all these cards legal for a little while, but, like, everybody Just needs let to... people play with them. Right. Like, people want to play with Counterspell. Right. Clearly. <laughs> but the argument for uh, Swords to Plowshares being legal is not as strong as people seem to think. That card's not fun. No. No, no it's not. <laughs> all right, should we talk about some of these cards? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Who do you want to start? Well, so, you know, we got a big list of cards that are already legal, so we don't need to worry about these. Some of them are in standard, some of them are from, you know, Amonkhet or whatever. Big list of them. I It is funny, I have Revitalized Bolded because it is so wild that that made it into the Mystical Archive because of what you what you said. Yeah, it had to be a white spell that wasn't around, it was already legal in standard, and there are, like, very, very few of them that people want to even come close to opening. <laughs> yep. Because white just, white just isn't a spell color. It's, like, pretty hard to have good white spells. Mm -hmm. White's really a creature color. Which is bad, I think. I I, I think, like, LSV and, and BK were talking this on their last episode, and I, I tend to agree that, like, card types shouldn't be a thing that is, like, mechanically identified with one color or another. Like, those are the tools of the game, and and they should be available and the same thing with like drawing cards like yeah i think exactly the same thing yeah you just want your people you want people to play the game not be like well the way white works in this game is that you have like very few playable instant or sorceries like most of your cards that do that stuff in other colors are just enchantments instead and they can be removed right and you're like wait hold on yeah <laughs> that doesn't sound very fun <laughs> right right like certainly white needs to have an identity it needs to have things it does better and worse than other colors but it should be doing each of those things with the card types that make the most sense to do each of those things. So, um, Also, uh, honorable mention for already legal cards is Day of Judgment. Functionally identical to Wrath of God in the format because there is not a single way to regenerate your creatures. I assume that there, there's nothing on this list that regenerates your creatures. So, No, there is not. None of the regenerating spells made it into the Mystical Archive. But Meddling Mage is legal in the format. So Day of Judgment does matter, because if you're running two, you're going to want to split them. <laughs> Once people start playing Meddling Mage. I, the fact that it's available at all in the format, I think it means it's correct to run a split. Okay. Sure. I mean, they're... Okay, one caveat. I'm not made of wild cards. Okay, yeah, here. yeah, of course. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep playing I assume this is, the Wrath of Gods. Yeah, this is a, a mythic... Yeah. All right. Play your Wrath of Gods. That's probably fine. I won't. I'll lose my every once in a while to the Meddling Mage. It's fine. It comes up so rarely until Meddling Mage is like part of an actual tier one deck. So. All right. So I kind of broke these cards into tiers. Uh, and we're going to start with like the least powerful and move our way up to the most impactful ones. So here on tier three, this is what I've called the sort of niche tier cards that may not do anything at all but they're in here they're cards that have been cast for some purpose in the past or they wouldn't have made it in 
So I think every card is worth talking about. Uh, first up is Gift of Estates. This is a one and a white mana sorcery. If an opponent controls more lands than you, search your library for up to three planes cards, reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle. This is a relatively beloved casual card. I'll admit this is one of the few cards on the list I have no experience with in actual tournament magic. I've I've never actually cast it. Was it printed after like Mirage, I assume? It might be like a portal card. Oh, it's a ninth edition. Yeah, that's portal and ninth edition, or the card that was in. And I was playing during ninth edition. Let me tell you, I don't think I saw a single Gift of the States cast ever. Yeah, you gotta be doing something really weird and specific. It does get non-basics, if that's a thing. It doesn't do anything unless your opponent has more lands than you. I It's hard for me to imagine putting this card into a deck, but weirder things have happened. All right, I'm going to ask a weird question. Is Knight of the White Orchid legal and historic? I don't know the answer to that. It is not. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's no... You can't just wait for it. You can't just play Knight of the White Orchid instead. Okay, good. Yeah. This isn't a card that is inspiring to me in any way. No, not really. I can't imagine you just want to grab a bunch of lands. Maybe you can... If Lore holds... Lore Health has a... Uh, it's the new set that's coming out. It's the red-white one. Mm -hmm. They have like a graveyard theme. And they're really... They have a cathartic reunion mm -hmm. involved. So if you just want to load up on actual cardboard. Mm -hmm. And you just want to put things in your graveyard. Like Gift of State is probably a good way to do that. If there's some historic combo thing you can put together. But in a, like a conventional deck that's just interesting getting lands and putting them into play, I, I can't imagine this really seeing any play. Yeah, I mean, y if your deck wants this card, you'll know. Like, you're going to be doing a really weird thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next up is Teferi's Protection. This is two and a white for an instant. Until your next turn, your life total can't change and you gain protection from everything. All permanents you control phase out. So this is a ghost way for all your stuff. Yeah, they can't even process it. Yeah, it's not exiled. It's phased. Uh, it's it's mostly a fog. Nothing really other than that. It's an expensive fog because some fogs already exist in the format. Yeah, I, I'm sure that there's going to be some weird matchup where this is a great sideboard card at some point for a little while. And as far as general applicability goes, you know, this is a great I mean, casual card. This is an awesome commander card. It's pretty flexible. It also counters Dendrils of Agony. Yeah, that's true. And we don't have Veil to do that, so... Yeah, you might as well Teferi's Protection yourself. Your life total can't change. You have protection for everything. They, they can't gain life if they're trying to, like, value Bolus of Citadel, gain a bunch of life. Their, their Tindal's just fizzle. Sure, yeah. I, I mean, any of the, like, Storm combo decks, uh, if you're not playing blue, this may be your, your sideboard card that just, like, really screws up that turn and then... You know, usually the storm deck is pretty out of resources at once they like put the grape shot or the tendrils on the stack. Yeah, like maybe there's a weird one that I I've built some minds desire decks in my free time, mm -hmm. and one of the ones I built was just minds desiring into Aetherflux Reservoir, gaining a bunch of life. The fairy's protection doesn't protect you from that because they can just you know activate it twice usually. <laughs> But it will do most everything else related to like Stormwind conditions. Yeah. And I imagine that the legality of Grapeshot and Tendrils will encourage most people to not run Aetherflux Reservoir unless there's a specific reason. So I can definitely see this as a sideboard card. Blue Sun Zenith. 
This is X blue, 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 instant. Target player draws X cards. Shuffle blue sun zenith into its owner's library. This just isn't how we draw cards anymore. Nope. And Sphinx's Revelation is legal. And we don't play that card. Yeah. Maybe if you can generate infinite mana, that's a kill condition. Mm -hmm. That's a little more flexible, but we're not really trying to win the game that way either right now. So Generally not. And I mean, like, Expansion Explosion does that. Yeah, true, true. Next, we've got Tezzeret's Gambit. This is three and a blue Phyrexian mana. It's a sorcery. Draw two cards, then proliferate. Proliferate is choose any number of permanents and or players, then give each another counter of each kind already there. That mechanic's in War of the Smart. Come on. I, People know what it does. That's probably fair. It's just a divination. Like, this card wasn't even good in Standard, and there were a ton of counter stuff all over the place. Yeah. And... The most thing, the most what you want to proliferate is planeswalkers anyway, mm -hmm. and that's just not. You can't just stack a bunch of planeswalkers into play and have people not attack them. And you also can't cast, like you, your deck can't be full of planeswalkers and divinations. Once you put yeah. the planeswalkers in, the divinations have to come out. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this card's playable. No, I agree. Next, we've got Crux of Fate. Three black black sorcery. Choose one. Destroy all dragon creatures or destroy all non dragon creatures. Um, Black already has a couple of Wraths. Uh, it has multiple four mana kind of limited Wraths. Uh, Languish and the, you know, just the, the collection. Extinction of, Event. Yeah, Extinction yeah. Event, which is Vengeance. The creature type naming one, you know, that doesn't kill that creature type. The one that Rogues plays that I can't remember the name of. I don't know that either. Yeah. <laughs> this one is a five mana version, but generally will kill all creatures if your opponent has a dragon and non-dragons then you know you have regrets but generally it's, it's going to kill all creatures this card's really only notable because of the art controversy surrounding yeah it. the plagiarism <laughs> card it's uh i don't remember the artist's name or alleged artist's name but he's had his contract suspended from wizards of the coast <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty wild uh and jason felix i think yes my, my favorite detail of it is the one part of the bolus that got kind of changed. It had to be redrawn because the deviant art watermark was covering up that part from the original art. So he had to redo that bit. But the rest is exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, messed up. I bet Crux sees a little bit of play. You know, five mana kill everything. It's not good, but sometimes it's what you need. I mean, I can never stop people from playing black control decks like heavy black mono black kind of thing people never stop playing that right, so exactly it will definitely see play yes uh next we have chaos warp this is two and a red for an instant the owner of target permanent shuffles it into their library then reveals the top card of their library if it's a permanent card they put it onto the battlefield basically this costs one mana too much for even like considering something with this possibility of a drawback if it costs two i think it would be super interesting and you'd kind of be willing to 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 play that game and take that risk but i i think that this is mostly a hey this is a neat thing in commander but you can't play it in, in competitive one-on-one -on -one magic it's gonna be excellent in brawl on arena <laughs> and every casual format you can shake a stick at because it's just something red can't do right but this card does it <laughs> and i mean that is a real thing like this is something red can't do if there's an enchantment in a matchup and you are bred and you need to kill that enchantment, like maybe this is a sideboard card for that. 
Yeah, but usually red decks are playing a second color, mm -hmm. and unless your second color is uh, blue, blue you, you can deal with an enchantment. Right. And I mean, if you're blue, you just play Brazen Borrower, so you're fine. Yeah, yeah. So I don't really see it, but it is weird enough and wild enough that it could find a spot, but like, you can definitely get boned by this card. I expect to lose to it when my opponent casts it on like one of their derpy permanents and just puts a toothy giant in play. <laughs> yeah, not the intended case, but I mean, certainly right. can see that. You happening. cannot set it up; it is templated such that you cannot because you shuffle the permanent into the library. But I've lost a lot of games of Magic to more ridiculous things. Yeah, so definitely, I'm not going to rule it out. <laughs> Next, we've got increasing vengeance. A card from the increasing cycle that is the only one that made it into the archive. This is red red for an instant. Copy target instant or sorcery spell you control. If this spell was cast from a graveyard, copy that spell twice instead. You may choose new cards for you may choose new targets for the copies. Flashback three red red. I can't think of a use case for this where you wouldn't just be better off doing expansion explosion. <laughs> the only case like storm played this a long 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 time ago mm -hmm. but you had really good rituals like seething song mm -hmm. and you could dump cards at your graveyard way more reliably yeah so unless that's kind of going on i don't really see this card seeing any play yeah yeah and we're never going to get red rituals into historic i don't think i mean we've got open the whatever it's called the tibble color card in call time wait to our oh I'd... sure that you can only use it for like Creatures, creatures and enchantments or whatever yeah <laughs> yeah i don't think that's quite gonna do it here oh uh, well we'll keep looking uh next we have urza's rage a format defining card that time has long since left behind this is two and a red instant deals three damage to target creature or player can't be countered it has kicker of eight and a red if you paid the kicker cost it deals 10 damage instead damage can't be prevented there's uh, this is just a card from invasion that is an invasion power level card so yeah this is one of the cooler cards from invasion like it, it's not playable in historic but i actually really like this card oh yeah because it is one of the most iconic characters in all of magic all the art for it is pretty good. Like the original Urza or the original uh, Invasion one is just like a mech, mech shooting fireballs. Mech warrior art, yeah. <laughs> and the two in the archive are really cool looking. Yeah, it, this is good. Like this is, yeah. Seeing Urza on the card, like it's a it's a great like throwback piece to have here. I do really appreciate it. It's something you definitely want to include in your library if you're like collecting all spells ever cast. Right, right. Like it wouldn't be complete if you if you didn't have this in your spell book somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and then last in our niche tier, I have Electrolyze. I know a bunch of people are going to get mad at me about this, but uh, I mean, what are you killing with Electrolyze? What is worth spending three mana on this for and being these colors? Like it's not happening. No, Electrolyze is a good standard card, and it's like good against modern affinity a long time ago, but that's that's the extent of its goodness. Yep. It's just not what it's about anymore. Nope. Like, imagine they have a Mayhem Devil in play and you draw Electrolyze. But... I mean, imagine they're playing anything but not one less. Right. Like it just <laughs> which is most decks. It just doesn't match up. Alright. 
so next here, we've got our solid role players. And I think these are the ones we're going to talk about a lot because uh, some of the, the top tier ones are just like very obvious what they do. This, this is a pretty substantial list and a lot of the cards are really interesting in their implications, at, at least to me. First up, we've got Ephemerate. I'll just try to make the readings a little quick. It's just one white mana instant flicker creature instantly with rebound. <laughs> yeah, and rebound means that it casts itself again at the beginning of your next upkeep. But only once. It's, it's not perfect. Right. <laughs> and this is a card that has created a modern deck. I just can't imagine this doesn't see play in Historic. I think it's actually a really good card that is kind of hard to build around. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people in Modern build around Ephemerate because it's it's in Modern Horizon, so it's pretty much only legal in Modern because mm -hmm. like, it far outstrips it in power. But Ephemerate is like a really cool build around that you can do a lot of cool stuff with, and it's a really, really good card because you can dodge removal with it and keep your pieces alive if you're trying to protect stuff. And the only drawback is there's no Eternal Witness variant mm -hmm. in uh, Historic that costs like less than five mana. There's nothing you can company into, certainly. Yeah, so that is certainly a downside because one of the best plays of the Ephemerate decks is just like putting Eternal Witness into play, getting back Ephemerate, and then Ephemerating the Eternal Witness. So you can't do that, so you have to work a little bit for it, but I, I definitely think this is a really good card and a very playable one. Yeah, I, I think there's a ton you can do with it. Skyclave Apparition is very good. I think Ephemerating that card is extremely powerful. I don't think there's any reason why you can't play a company deck with a bunch of comes into play abilities and Ephemerate. That seems pretty possible to me. Or you can go in a completely different direction and Momentary Blink is legal and historic, right? Am I crazy? Mm -hmm. That was in one of the... No, you're not crazy. Okay. It is in this, one of the anthologies. Yeah. So if you really want to play a Blink deck, you don't have Soul Herder, but... You can have Ephemerate as a premier blank spell and Momentary Blink as a beloved but probably not very good anymore blank spell. Yeah, it doesn't, it didn't age very well. A little expensive. And honestly, in that format, it was legal and I mostly used it to blank Brian Elementals. I lost in the top eight of states to a Momentary Blink deck. Avalanche Riders? I, he did have Avalanche Riders, I think, in the sideboard. I was playing a, like, green-red aggro deck that heavily relied on finishing people off with Tarmogoyf and Greater Gargadon, and so he just momentarily blinked his Siege Gang Commander a bunch of times. <laughs> so that didn't work out great for me. Yeah, that's that's a bummer for you. But Thragtusk is also legal, so blinking that card is oh, yeah. extremely good. Yeah, that is true. Oof, that's some uh, serious... Restoration Angel flashbacks there. Restoration Angel isn't legal, is it? No. <laughs> I said that confidently, though I'm only like 70% sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're right. Um, but Ephemerate is just the most efficient version of this effect we have ever seen, and we've seen it be good enough for modern when this is not the type of thing that should be good in modern. And so I, I think that it's pretty clear to me that this will find some homes. So next up is Manatai, a cube favorite. <laughs> uh, it's a white mana instant. Counter target spell unless it's controller phase one. So it's with a white force spike. Big tempo card, man. You get somebody with this thing. Yeah, so this card isn't good, but you lose to it all the time. <laughs> That's the most frustrating part about it. And everyone used this joke on Twitter. I, I myself did it. 
where all the art for Manatide is just everyone getting Manatide because <laughs> it's just someone deep in shock and just like how, dying. So, uh, how could this happen to me? Just like playing in the background. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's what it feels like to get Manatide. Uh, the worst part is like Manatide isn't that great, so no one could ever play four. So you can't really play, afford to play around it. But that just means every once in a while, someone will have like a mana tie or two in their deck, or draw one on an early turn, and just destroy you with it. Oh, there's not a lot you can do. About nice, it. nice day of judgment. Be a shame if something happened to it. How could this happen <laughs> to me? <laughs> so yeah, I like. I would be happy. Like my, I could look at a white weenie deck and be like, hmm. I don't know about the place of this deck in the format. And then I look at it and it's got like two or three mana ties in it. And I'm like, okay, I get what this deck is doing now. Yeah, it's it's a card you could just slip in a, a, an aggressive deck and get people with. It's not a bad card, but it's not like format defining. Sure. Uh, next up, a card we referenced earlier, Compulsive Research. It is a two and use sorcery. Target player draws three cards, then discards two unless they discard a land. So it's kind of like Thirst for Meaning, uh, but you have to discard a land instead of enchantment, and it's a sorcery. Yeah. Everybody has lands in their deck. Very few people have a lot of enchantments in their deck. It's just a fancy divination. It's it's It was played a lot back in its day, because it was, you know, it drew three, and you just had to pitch a land. And there was some cool stuff you could do with graveyard enabling with it. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the market for a graveyard enabling deck that doesn't play Faithless Looting <laughs> for some reason... And you also just want card quantity. You might be in the re the market for compulsory research, but otherwise, I don't really see it seeing that much play. Solar Flare was the traditional, like, preeminent home of compulsive research, a value based controlling deck that used its graveyard. There's also the Jeskai Angels mm -hmm. pile that would discard some fire main angels right. to gain that much of life. True. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different options for card drawing. And I think just sometimes this is going to be the one that you want. If you're not that concerned about instant speed card draw, and uh, in particular, yeah, if sometimes you do want to discard something for a specific reason, like this card is just pretty good. It's very fair, but it can do work. I, I like this card a lot. Yeah, harder than anything else to me, it's really hard to justify the cost of wild red rare wild cards for this card yeah that does feel pretty bad it was a common the first time right yep absolutely it was very good in draft yeah right especially because you could easily afford to discard a land card because a bunch of your lands were bounce lands yeah it was extremely it paired extremely well with the inherent card advantage in your mana base <laughs> i i think that it it is kind of funny like a lot of people fondly remember Ravnica, and every time it comes back, it's like, oh, wait, I don't know if this set is actually that fun. Every single card in the entire set is a two-for-one, and it's just like, how can you most efficiently two-for-one your opponent and keep them from two-for-one-ing you? And at some point, those games just, like, stop being protected. They're played out. Yeah. yeah. It's the same exact thing for Invasion Block. Uh, I've drafted. I didn't play when Invasion Block was in print, mm -hmm. but I've since drafted it a fair bit online. And that set is really just Grixis two for ones. Yes, like there's so many cards in the Grixis color pie that's just, just, just destroy your opponent on card advantage over and over again. A common like Jilt. Yep, Jilt. Uh, Urborg Uprising. 
or Borg Uprising. Uh, what's Probe? Is that the name of the yeah, it, I draw you discard? Probe, yeah. That's that's the whole name, yeah. <laughs> Boy, they really it, used up it, some of the good card names at that point in history. Yeah, well, <laughs> we're, we're still trying to get the one name cards in this set. Yeah. <laughs> but that, those two sets, like Invasion and Ravnica, original Ravnica, their whole identity was really just... We're going to play some multicolor stuff and figure it out from there. At least in Ravnica, you could cast your spells. Yes, very true. You didn't have to play like Terminal Moraine. Is that what that card <laughs> oh, was called? God. Yeah, there was barely any mana fixing in Invasion Block. Yeah, but you were very encouraged to play four or five colors. Don't forget. And it was literally impossible to play less than three. Like, yeah, that was a rough one. The bounce lines that only made one mana were in that form, in, that, in the, the middle layers, set. Yeah. yeah. I like that the uh, the the central theme of Invasion Block, which is the first multicolored like block, was really just play as many colors as you can. We're gonna reward you for it. Here's Domain. Here's like Last Stand. Here's all these cards that kind of fix your mana, but you have to be in green. <laughs> and it's just like we can't cast anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except for Flame Tongue Copy, which is only a single red mana. So <laughs> yeah, that card was. <laughs> It's like definitely the reason that that card, like it's funny the reverberations of the effect of that card. Like put it in Jumpstart. Well, it's we can't put it in Historic because it defined that standard format twenty years ago and was like really really bonkers. Back when we were playing like all basics in our deck, <laughs> I I always remember that it was supposed to be like the triumphant return of Sarah Angel to Standard because she got printed in seventh edition. Yeah. For the, and she had been sat out like three core sets or something like that, but then just Flametone Kavu was everywhere, so you couldn't play four toughness creatures unless they cost two mana. Not so triumphant return. No. Also, she wouldn't have been good enough, but even then. I guess we could go to the next card. I guess we've stopped talking about compulsive research. <laughs> this might be a long episode than intended. This episode is just called Let's Talk About Some Cards. Yeah. <laughs> historic edition <laughs> didn't somebody do a podcast called let's remember some cards i don't know i don't i don't remember that i feel like that's what our podcast is right now yeah for sure oh they only did like eight episodes but let's remember some cards is a great podcast name and i i, I may go with listen to those because that's that's very <laughs> very very fun anyway memory lapse is the next card yes it's one in a blue instant counter target spell if you counter it Put it on top of its owner's library instead of its owner's graveyard. Yeah, do not underrate the like disgusting tempo advantages you can you can pull out of this card. Yeah, it's a, like a classically good card from a long, long time ago. Much like Remand was. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a little outmoded sometimes because it is a tempo play instead of like a counter spell. Right. But if that's what you're in the market for, it's insane though. Yeah, I think that that that's really important. To note that you don't want this in a well actually you know what it's probably great in a deck with teferi hero of dominaria because it costs two mana and stops anything relevant on that turn where you only have the two mana and then you untap your lands and you have teferi in play right your opponent's drawing that card again yeah that is, that is good with teferi hero of dominaria yeah because sure. i was thinking like you know generally this is a way better card in like a flash style deck tempo style deck than in an actual like blue white control deck but the existence of teferi hero dominaria makes me think that 
Like, you get to run this in your Tails End slot. You don't have to just run that card as your two-mana counter spell yeah. anymore. The problem is drawing it, like, before you have Teferi in play. It's not very good, that style of deck. It's not awful, so you, though. Like, I mean, it does something, but it's often not going to be what you want to be doing. <laughs> right. But it does only cost two mana, so playing against a creature deck, your turn two play is memory lapse your turn two or turn three play like that really does screw up their tempo and their curve i wish this card were miscalculation mm -hmm. in this uh mystical archive mostly because it feels like that's a good fit for a school of magic well just the name because it had art for, wasn't it like the Telerian academy was like yeah like it, that's the whole thing it was at a magic school originally <laughs> And that card has only been in Old Border, and I would like a like a cool looking one mm -hmm. for my cube. That's fair. I, I do think Memory Lapse is going to see quite a bit of play. Two mana counter spells yeah. that, I mean, two mana counter spell that can target anything and deal with it for a turn is good. I'm, I'm a lower lower on this card, but it, I think you're right that it will see play. I just I just don't think it'll be in very high numbers. I I would agree with you, but the fact that it meshes so well with teferi i believe that that's gonna create significant incentive to put this into your deck but i could be wrong i do know a card is gonna be great though yeah this maybe maybe should have put this in the top tier it's time warp uh that's a if you don't know what time warp does for some reason that's three of you take an extra turn this card seems to get more powerful over time unlike the vast majority of magic cards well that's because this they realized, so this is a fixed version of Time Walk, which was only two mana, which was way too cheap for that effect. <laughs> so they did a five mana one, and it's been playable multiple times throughout its history. But pretty much ever since Time Warp was printed, every other Time Walk they've printed variants of, either some have some horrendous drawback, like Save of the Moment, or which you can't untap mm -hmm. during your extra turn, or they're just like a six mana at least and exile themselves. <laughs> Some of them like shuffle back into your library as an experimental. And we saw how effective <laughs> that was. Uh, Stopgap. That's the same, right? It's not in your graveyard. You can't just like gearhulk it back. That's it's basically gone. Yeah, how are you gonna get that back? You don't know. It's not on the bottom. It's shuffled. Yeah, I mean, it could be the top card. It could not be. Yeah. We don't. We don't have any way of like digging really deep into your deck, say four cards at a time or anything like that. Yeah, and certainly we wouldn't print any ways to untap your land, so it's trivial to cast this instant speed time walk. <laughs> yeah, that was... Nexus of Fate was a wild, wild card. Um, I think Time Warp could give it a run for its money in Historic, honestly. I... So the reason time... Nexus of Fate is banned in Historic. Yes. Because you can cast it over and 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 over again, and you win the game. You can also do that with Time Warp. Yeah. Tamiyo exists. We're getting regrowth in this set. Yeah, regrowth is in the set. Tamiyo exists. Brainstorm is in the set, so you can like set up things better. It, it's the time warp is a really dangerous card, and it's probably a tier too low. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I, I think I probably should have put it in the top tier. I think it's going to be very likely to be a format defining deck that could easily get banned before we're through. It could also just get banned off of annoying value. Like, mm -hmm. even if it's not very strong, it's like a a really polar deck yeah. that, you know, when you're taking all the turns, 
some decks you can't lose against. Some decks you can't win because you're too slow to get off the ground. Yep. And Wizards doesn't like that kind of play patterns because it's not very enjoyable. Right. Especially on digital where you're just sitting there. Nobody had fun playing against Nexus of Fate. Like, kind of similar here. So, like, among cards in this pile that could get banned, Time War is actually kind of high on my list. Mm -hmm. Even though I don't think it's the most overtly powerful card. Yeah. I I think you're right. This card is going to be a really big deal. Mm Mm-hmm. And you have Explore and Growth Spiral, yeah. like both of them yeah. already in the set. Exactly. Which is huge. Like, I don't remember what course that Time Warp was in uh, when it came back. I think M20? Like the, not M20, M10. <laughs> the, the very first 2010 yeah. course set. But regardless of what exactly course it came from, yep. it was... M10. This, yeah, it was the same with like Zendikar. It was in the Zendikar pile, so Explore was legal. Mm-hmm. And you would just Explore... And just play Time Warp with Avenger of Zendikar and kill your opponent really quickly. Yeah. Right, and that's just some goof... That's just, like, here's a 7-drop, like, that is not super exploiting it. It's just, like, kind of the more powerful our cards get, the more powerful taking an extra turn gets. And that was a format where Planeswalkers were really new. There weren't that many of them. Mm-hmm. And that deck was really good. Yeah. The, the Time Warp deck. Yep. I mean, it couldn't beat Mono Red to save its life. But, you know, all decks have weaknesses. And, well, and yeah, and this version of it is going to have eight explorers if you want them. Um, thank God it doesn't have access to Uro. <laughs> yes. I mean, we could have done that to every uh, blue deck. Yeah, but like this would be a completely <laughs> egregious experience, right? Yeah, it, it would be. All right. Next up is an old reliable favorite. It's just Doomblade. Yeah. Two mana, kill it on blood creature. We got plenty of two-mana removal spells in the format. Sometimes this will be the best one. Uh, I mean, that's that's all there is to it. Yep. I mean, you can't say it's not going to see play, because it will. Right. <laughs> but what is the best one? Eliminate, Heartless Act, Doom... Like, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's it's Pick your metagame and pick the card. Also, side note, it's weird that Heartless Act wasn't the... The standard... The, the, the version in this set mm-hmm. instead of Eliminate. Yeah. But uh, whatever. Next up is Sign in Blood. A card I'm surprised isn't already legal and historic for some reason. But it's just BB, Sorcery, target player draws two and loses two life. I think this is a particularly big deal given that Death Shadow is in historic now. Ooh, that's fair. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Knight's Whisper is played sometimes in modern mm-hmm. to power up your Death Shadows. So Sign in Blood is a uh, kind of a Knight's Whisper. Yeah, I think given... That we're also getting Inquisition, which, you know, we'll talk about a little bit later. But given that we're also getting Inquisition of Kozilek in this set, a Death Shadow-type deck is poised to be extremely good in Historic. It's just, it has the suite now, and it has card advantage that, that is really effective in the deck. And I, I could I can see something happening here for sure. Yeah. No, having card advantage with Death Shadow is nice. I, I like that a lot. Huh, okay, the next card we have listed here is good old Stone Rain. Two in red, destroy target land as a sorcery. Is this good? I no. don't know. <laughs> they don't give it to us anymore. Well, the reason they don't give it to us is it's like a very high variance. Mm-hmm. I, I can count. I, I've played many Stone Rain legal formats because it was printed like continuously for many, many, many years. Right, right. And the only time it's ever good is when you have a high density of them. Mm-hmm. And that's just not going to happen. 
like the Magnavor deck in Champions of Kamigawa, which I believe was the last time Stolen Rain was printed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a deck that just played Stone Rain, Boomerang, Eye of Nowhere, Wildfire, just everything to get your opponent's lands off the table. And that deck was only good on the play. <laughs> it took until after that deck for everybody to realize, like, oh, bo- Boomerang is Stone Rain. Like, Boomerang is a time walk. This is this card isn't okay. Yeah, it's we just get dispersed nowadays, which is bounce on Don Land. Mm-hmm. Boomerang was the two mana bounce anything, so you could just bounce your opponent's land, <laughs> <laughs> which led to some of the most polarized matchups in all of like competitive magic history. There were multiple boomerang decks and you just like couldn't beat them with a slow deck. It was just more or less impossible, but also legal at the time was Kurt ape and the boomerang decks just could not beat a Kurt ape. Like it, it was literally impossible. At that time, like a two, three, four one mana was insanely strong. <laughs> so, and you had stomping ground, so you could actually play a two, three Kurt ape on turn one. Right. Which hadn't been legal since, like, revised. <laughs> no, Kurt Ape getting reprinted was a big deal back then. That was that was a huge change to the format. Yeah, now we just look at two threes for one and we're like, what else is there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's unlikely that Stone Rain is going to do very much at all. But, you know, we're also getting Primal Command. So maybe some sort of Ponza-ish kind of thing. But probably you'd not. Have to, you'd have to give me Plow Under before I'm trying to... Sure. Ponza people. Sure. Blood Moon. I mean, if you give me like Magus of the Moon to get with my Primal Command, then perhaps, you know, maybe we'll have some sort of stew there. Nah, I'm. Don't don't play Stone Rain. No one will enjoy it. You won't enjoy it. Your opponent won't enjoy it. Your wild card stash won't enjoy it. Yeah. It's just not a winnings formula. It isn't, but it it does give you the ability to sideboard, uh, you know a land destruction spell if that is a thing that like gives you tempo that matters somehow in a format uh it's this isn't the way to kill a particular non-basic land though we already have cleansing wildfire for that so that that's what that is for but yeah stone rain probably not gonna do anything at all but it's there next up is the most classic form of green card advantage (laughs) harmonize yeah, back before green got any card draw at all, mm-hmm. Lander Chaos explored what could happen if we gave green just some card draw. And then they never symbol- stopped doing that. <laughs> and to symbolize that, they just color shift concentrate. So this is 2GG sorcery, draw three cards. And it's so much better than concentrate. Yeah, well, yeah. Blue <laughs> has so much card draw and doesn't really need concentrate. That concentrate hasn't been printed in years. Right. Also, blue has a really hard time casting concentrate, like... You know, it's hard to dump your hand with a blue deck. When you have Lanowar Elves, it's way easier to dump your hand and refill with Harmonize. And you get to play the cards you draw with Harmonize so much faster. Right. Um, I think that, honestly, there's a chance that this is good enough for Historic. Four mana, draw three in green. Like, there are decks that'll want that. There's decks that make a lot of mana, and drawing some cards is going to be really good. No, yeah, I, I think so too. This is... A niche card for sure, but it is really good at what it does. Yeah. It's it's pretty much the only green card that just says straight up draw a bunch of cards. Mm-hmm. Usually you have to like work for it a little bit, like Tireless Tracker wants you to play lands. <laughs> but this one's just, you want to pay mana to draw cards? All right, we got you. Yeah, I'll hook you up. Here's three. Do it. Do whatever you want with them. Next up, uh, one, of the, one of my favorite sideboard cards of all time, mm-hmm. and Grip. It kills Sensei's Divining Top. It does. 
through a counterbalance sometimes. So, yeah, sometimes not. If they're if you're playing against somebody good, you might get destroyed there, but But it's 2G instant, uh destroy target artifact or enchantment, and it has split second, which means that as long as it's on the stack, players can't respond to it. They can't put other spells in the stack and they can't activate abilities. Triggers still happen. So like we were just saying with the counterbalance, if you cast Crows and Grip, they can still trigger their stuff that re- revolves around you casting spells, but they can't do anything else. They can't cast spells in response to it. That was a real thing in some formats, was leaving a three on top of your deck post-board for the Crows and Grips, and then the other player, if they understood that their opponent was supposed to be doing that, would try to find an opportunity, you know, put a spell on the stack, so then they would top in response and then you could curse and grip your opponent's sensation divining top. Uh, that's not really the type of magic they're trying to promote anymore these days. Uh, yeah, Nowadays, it's just, I, I don't know exactly where curse and grip will be used, but it's just a really good naturalize. Yeah. If there's anything your opponent wants to use before it dies, curse and grip stops it before it can be used mm-hmm. completely. Like Aetherworks Marvel. Aetherworks Marvel doesn't see real play in Historic, but if it were like something you could care about and your opponent's just like slow rolling their marvel, mm-hmm. you can just kill it. They don't get to use it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's more, you know, it's also uncounterable if that's a thing that matters. Uh, certainly, like the default naturalize effect that you want is the cheapest one that you can find. There's a reason that nature's claim is the sideboard card of choice for, you know, the vast majority of modern decks that want a sideboard naturalize. But Crows and Grip has spots. It is uncounterable. They can't do anything to save the thing that you're killing with it unless they have a morph in play. Are there morphs in Historic? I don't think so. But yeah. just to just to mention that morph is a special action and you can unmorph a creature in response to a split-second spell. Yes, very true. <laughs> but probably won't come up. It only comes up in Time Spiral Remaster Draft because... That's one of the things about that format is they put in split second and morphs in the same limited format. Did they reprint Willbender in that format? I don't think they did. I don't think so, but you could like there's still morphs, so like you could respond yeah. to a split second spell. Like if you try to sudden shock a morph and then they turn it up and it's a shaper's parasite, like like they can do that. <laughs> I just remember getting destroyed by a uh, a Willbender on sudden spoiling. Oh my god, is that target player? Yeah, it is. Good lord. So, yep. Well, it's just a, it's just a good naturalize. Yeah. And speaking of good naturalizes, <laughs> Primal Command. I have cast this in full naturalize mode. It doesn't feel good. It feels really bad when you have to do that. I I think I've cast this card only in limited. So, <laughs> nah. It, it's three GG sorcery. It's a command. So you get to choose two of four modes. And those modes are target player gains 7 life, put a non-creature permanent on top of its owner's library, target player shuffles their graveyard into their library, or search your library for a creature card and put it into your hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I mean, I've cast this card more than most. I played a lot of it when it was in standard. Certainly we're in a totally different world of card power level and stuff like that. But this card will, will surprise you with how solid it is in a variety of spots having access to the incidental gain seven life in the matches where that's important like seven is an enormous number and the default mode obviously is like put a land on top of your library let me get a creatures and and you know 
you're going up a card, you're screwing up their tempo. It sounds like it's not really worth five mana, but in the spots where they're like you're kind of even on board or you're pushing an advantage and you do that, like it often really like puts a game away. So I don't think it's a tremendous card and you can't play a ton of it or anything like that. And a lot of decks, you know, not all decks want it. But if you're playing creatures, playing mana creatures in particular, um, you can really push an advantage with this kind of card. Yeah, I don't know exactly where it fits, but it is playable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, tutor. I'm not excited about it. Right. Tutoring for a creature is pretty cool if you can have a bunch of different, like very different creatures in your deck that you know you might want different ones in different spots it it certainly is expensive and there's no guarantee that this will see play or anything like that but um it's it's stronger than than you might think is basically my only point about it i'm just gonna keep segueing to the next card off what you said so stronger than you might think also <laughs> is regrowth <laughs> it's just 1g return a card from your graveyard to your hand sorcery yeah this will do it aforementioned Excellent, excellent, excellent with Time Warp. Yep. Honestly, that's mostly where I'll see most of its play. <laughs> I think like, so. It's a, this card was outmoded significantly by Eternal Witness in the formats where they're legal together. Mm -hmm. Because one's a creature you can interact with and bounce to your hand and flicker and stuff. And the other one's a spell. So it, this will be played with Time Warp. I don't really know if it will be played anywhere else. Probably not, but that's good enough to make it really powerful and really important. Yeah. When this card is just a time warp, then yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It also doesn't exile itself, so you can, I don't know, bring it back with Tamiya if you want to do something just nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a lot of wheel spinning for very little gain. Yeah. I started that sentence and I did not know where I was going with it. Hey, maybe you want a card back from your graveyard and there's you know, you have more regrowths in your deck than that card left in your deck, but your Tamiya is low on loyalty, so you plus you name regrowth because you're more likely oh. to hit that. So smart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really have anything more to say about regrowth. Yeah, it'll be good. As long as Time Warp is playable or legal, I guess, it'll be good. Weather the Storm is the next card. This is a, another Storm card. Maybe the first storm card we've talked about? This is the first one we've talked about, yeah. Yeah, the fairest of the storm cards. 1G instant, you gain 3 life, storm. You don't know what storm is. Uh, it's when you cast the spell, copy it for each spell cast before it this turn. So it's a little quirky. Uh, it counts both players' spell casts. So if you like have a counter war before the storm card, you count both players' spells. But if you have a counter war after the storm card, you don't get to count any of the things cast after the storm card. Yes. Yeah. Mostly where I think whether the storm will be playable is alongside Bolas of Citadel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that seems really, really good. I don't... It's not very good against... It's good against burn decks, right? Because it's just game three a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. But burn decks aren't a thing in Historic. It, and whether the storm is not good against like aggressive decks, because right. it'll just keep attacking you. Right. So if you can't like use it to beat burn, that's its intended function. So then you just shift over to being a mana engine with bowl as a citadel, and it's like pretty good at doing that. <laughs> it also, and this could be relevant depending on how the storm decks are constructed, but 
if they get to a point where they just go, all right, spend all my resources, grape shot you, or spend all my resources, tendrils you, like whether the storm does counter a grape shot or a tendrils. Yeah, that's true. It, it's rare that that's, you know, it doesn't seem super likely to me that that's what the builds are doing. Like my default build for a storm deck is going to be a Bolus's Citadel deck. And so I'm going to go tendrils you, you're going to go uh, weather the storm. And I'm going to go, okay, well, I'll gain like 40 life off of my tendrils and then I'm going to kill you next turn. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to keep casting spells now. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> oh, look, there's a brainstorm on top. Put this tendrils on top. Tendrils you again. <laughs> Dude, brainstorm with Bolus's Citadel. It's nice, That's right? nice. <laughs> you get to draw all the lands on top and then put spells on top. Yeah, whatever you've got in your hand that was part of your combo, you just get to like put it there and then do it. The bad thing about whether the Storm of the Bulls is still deck is it doesn't do anything else. Yeah. Like, it's it's a really bad card to just draw. It is. You just want to cast it on your Bulls of Citadel turn, which is probably means you shouldn't just jam four of them. I've seen a lot of lists running around that just have four Weather the Storm. Uh, and I can just imagine drawing two as my opening hand and being like, what am I doing? Well, don't you, like, start with four Tendrils first? Like... Yes. Okay. Because I... It, like... Tendrils is just better than Weather the Storm to hit off of Citadel. Yeah, Tendrils is way better than Weather the Storm in multiple ways. But I I, I would start with two Weather the Storms, personally, mm -hmm. if we're trying to go like all in on Citadel. And adjusting from there, like maybe you only want two or one. Well, and, and I mean, like, Weather the Storm is bad against aggro decks out of, like, a control deck where you're going to be trading resources and that's how you win the game. Against an aggro deck, if there's a turn where they go, like creature creature and you go whether the storm gain nine life like that may buy you enough time to kill your opponent especially if like you play an explored creature they play an interactive spell and you just gain nine life yeah but that also works right right so you can set that up and and that may be two turns and that gets you to i'll storm you out now Ooh, the last card you have on here is one i wasn't expecting to see it's putrefy yeah which is one bg instant destroy an artifact or creature it can't be regenerated <laughs> We have several things that really screw up creatures with regeneration, and we have zero ways to regenerate creatures. People are going to be reading these cards and just scouring the arena client for, what is regenerate? <laughs> is that like zombify? Can I stop? Like, can I not bring creatures back with Command the Dreadhorde if they've been putrefied? I wonder what is the percentage of players who started playing in a time where regeneration was available and they misinterpreted what regeneration did. I think basically everybody thought regenerating Everyone. a creature lets you just put it back into play from your graveyard. Yeah, I'll, that's how I learned what regeneration I mean, was. Not really, but that's what we thought it was in our like casual play group. Yeah, that's what we thought it was. 100%. I, I, I'm sure it like, approaches 100% of Magic players assumed that when they started playing. Because the cards are so bad. Mm -hmm. Like Most of the regeneration creatures at the time, like before Troll Aesthetic was printed... Yeah, which is Drudge, a good Drudge Skeletons is the premier example. Yeah, it's just the card was so bad. Yeah, like why wouldn't it come back from the graveyard? Right. <laughs> like that would make it playable. Yeah, and then they made the real versions of them, reassembling skeleton. That card's great. You can do so much cool stuff with it. Yeah, uh, gutter bones is like kind of like that too. Yeah, but not as fun. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the we the real answer for regeneration is just dumb, right? It's just 
remove it from combat, tap it, remove it's all just damage from it. It doesn't so die. complicated for what it does. <laughs> like it is completely correct for them to not be printing it. Like paying a mana to make something indestructible until end of turn. Like that's such a cleaner way to do it. I mostly want them to print a welding jar that makes an artifact indestructible. <laughs> Or gives it Shroud, because there's too many Skyclave apparitions Ooh, now. Oh, yeah. But Putrefy, sometimes you might want a removal spell that does exactly these things. But Maelstrom Pulse is legal, so probably not that often do you want Putrefy. Yeah, but Devil is also legal and sees, like, only begrudging play. Yeah. <laughs> but Devil is the same text of the card, except my third generation. Yeah. But as a black-red card. Three-mana removal spells are just not really where it's at. You want to jump up a tier? Yeah, but we got the we got the four question mark tier of just cards that I don't I don't know how good they are. All right, tier question mark question mark question mark question mark. Yeah. What, what do you have? In, what do you have first? All right, so we've got tainted pact in this tier. Let me just actually pull it up so I don't tell you wrong. I I know what it does. I mean, I know what it does. I want to actually read the text though, because okay, it, it's like I don't want to just explain it because it's easy to misinterpret. One in a black for an instant. Exile the top card of your library. You may put that card into your hand unless it has the same name as another card exiled this way. Repeat this process until you put a card into your hand or you exile two cards with the same name, whichever comes first. So you keep flipping cards until you choose one or you hit a duplicate. So this is, you know, basically just Demonic Tutor in a deck that's all singletons. If you're not all singletons, then you're really rolling the dice every time you flip another card with this thing. It's also kind of a scary demonic tutor. Mm -hmm. It has some risk associated with it. Because mm -hmm. you could exile like 40 cards before you get to your <laughs> cards you want. Yeah, but most games that's not really relevant, right? No. And I think most of the time this will see play in Historic is possibly with Thassa's Oracle anyway. Mm -hmm. You just have Lutri and Tainted Pack. Yeah, I mean, that's the really cute thing with this. You're playing singleton. So you have Lutri, you get your Tainted Pact, and then you go end of turn, Tainted Pact, Lutri, Tainted Pact, fourth Thassa's Oracle, and then the second Tainted Pact, you exile everything but the bottom card, go to your turn, draw your card, put Thassa's Oracle. That's a combo that can only be interacted with by counter magic. Mm -hmm. And you started it at instant speed. That's really powerful. It's just that your deck has to be singleton in order to pull it off. You have to, draw, you have to play one Tainted Pact. Right. I, which is spooky if if it didn't have this like the, the combo itself if it didn't have the singleton restriction like that's easily the most powerful combo in historic like it, it, it's an incredibly powerful play pattern but the the cost is is real yes i i i don't know how to evaluate this card honestly i think it's good mm -hmm. like at fair value like having this kind of selection at an instant speed mm -hmm. is just good especially since you can play snow covered and non-snow covered basics right so you don't have to like screw yourself so much with your mana base yeah i mean that yeah right this version of the card where your deck is like some sort of deck with combos in it or just like cards that you know synergy stuff and you're trying to put things together and you you know, maybe you have kind of like moved away from four ofs and you have a lot of twos and threes and you're just kind of like trying to do it in a fair way. This is the question mark part of the tier for me. Is there a way to build this into a fair deck? Mostly, historically, there was not. But the historic card pool is quite large. And, you know, if you're just kind of doing redundant versions of cards and 
it, it's hard to do that though because your good cards like the best cards are so much better than other cards in historic that you want to run four of them but i guess that's what you're looking for with your tainted pack most of the time so right not to harp on Bulls of Citadel so much, but I do think this is a card that works really well with Bulls of Citadel. Because you this card doesn't prompt a shuffle mm. like Mind's Desire does. If you have Bulls of Citadel in play, no, well, first of all, it gets you Bulls of Citadel if you don't have one at instant speed, mm-hmm. which is great. And if you do have one, like if it's the top card of your library on a Bulls of Citadel turn, you can cast it, see what the top card of it is. And you can just like go until you get a Brainstorm or until you want to cast the top card. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, those decks probably do have a fair number of four ofs in them. You know, you probably yeah, have, that is the downside. have four tendrils in your deck. and But I don't think you'd have played that many Tainted Packs. Like, I think it's just like a one or two of in that style of deck. Sure. And also, and, and you can build Bulls of Citadel a lot of different ways, I suspect. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be like all Explore Creatures, whether the Storm, Tendrils, Agony kind of, kind of deal. Yeah, that's probably true. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean... I don't know if this deck, if this card saw basically no play, it wouldn't really surprise me. But if it showed up in decks like that, that also is a like very reasonable possibility. So this remains in the question mark tier for me. I know Sam Black is interested in this card mm-hmm. for historic, which usually means that it's probably broken. <laughs> Sam's calls have so, been like extremely accurate for a long time now. Yeah, so I'm not going to write it off. Not, not until I read more of his literature. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that's really fair. What was what was the last one that he called that was really impressive to me that it paid off? I mean, like, you know, he was just accurate about a lot of stuff, but there was one in particular that, like, I didn't get at first, but then he said it and... It, oh, he called Yorion really early. He yeah, was just Yorion. like, I think this might be the best card in the set. We knew Companion was good, but we didn't quite get, like... Oh yeah, blinking all your stuff is. This is this I mean, is we were real. discussing is if twenty cards added to your deck is worth the like cost. Right. That's the point of the discussion we were in. Yeah. I mean, we we look at it now and we're like, yeah, obviously, <laughs> no, yeah, you like... idiot. <laughs> but at the time, it was like well, we don't know. Right. And and Sam was just like, listen, idiots. <laughs> <laughs> so. If you learn one thing from this episode, it is to listen to Sam Black's takes on upcoming cards. He is right far more often than he is wrong, and he is right about things that other people don't get. Yeah. Other card in my four question mark tier is Mizix's Mastery. This is one that I have not been able to play within any competitive format because it hasn't been legal in any one-on-one competitive format. So this is... Three and a red, sorcery, exile target card that's an instant or sorcery from your graveyard. For each card exiled this way, copy it, and you may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. Exile Mizix's Mastery has overload for five red, red, red. So eight mana, and then it targets all of your instants and sorceries in your graveyard. Cast them all. I guess it doesn't target. It takes away the word target and changes it to each, which is really important for some cards that affect stuff on the battlefield that have overload, but not so important for this one. Nah. Mostly, I, I don't know where Mizzix's Mastery can be played. I've seen people talking about it with Mind's Desire, which is insane, obviously, because the best thing you can do with Mind's Desire is cast another one. Yep. Until you're casting 20 spells, and then it doesn't matter what you're doing. Yeah, I yeah, hit a Mizzix's Mastery with a Mind's Desire, like, you're casting your whole deck that turn. 
Yeah, Mind Slinger importantly doesn't exile itself, much like Time Warp, mm-hmm. which is really a restriction that should have been on the <laughs> but it just isn't. <laughs> right, and it also does it in the like in the Urza way, where you get to you get to look at all the cards that you can cast that turn, and you get to sort of cast them whenever you feel like it over the course of the turn. Yeah. You get to optimize it, and then they go to your graveyard. So, like. Mind's Desire is a pretty, like, it's worded as nicely as it possibly can for the Mind's Desire player. You can also do stuff in between triggers, which is not super important for, like, stacking your library or anything, because you can, it causes you to shuffle every time. Mm-hmm. But you can cast spells you get off Mind's Desire before other Mind's Desires finish resolving. <laughs> God, I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to play Mind's Desire and it's reprinted with, you know, brand new cool art instead of exploding head reprint art. Which I, So there's a Mirari uh, version, mm-hmm. which is like the flavor of Mind's Desire in the first place. And it's really, really, really cool, but it's only available in like From the Vault foil, <laughs> which is obviously like garbage yeah. quality. So I'm disappointed that card still doesn't exist in paper because it's really cool mm-hmm. but i mean this version is, is neat <laughs> yes yeah in our mystics mastery section well well yeah and we'll get to the minds desire section soon enough so uh i think that i mean mystics mastery is just like an effect that we don't have access to it's a completely unique effect basically like a reanimation effect for a spell uh we've got a whole bunch of ultimatums legal in historic we just got previewed a Strixhaven card that is an eight mana sorcery that does a bunch of stuff, and inherently in that card you can discard it. So, that card's an instant, by the way. Oh, it's an instant. Okay. Yeah, you can use it with Tarantula Gear Hulk. Oh my god. Okay, that might be that's a better way of doing it than Mizzix's Mastery, I think. But yeah, because it makes a treasure token, so you can just play your Gear Hulk on turn five and flash it back. Yeah, this card that we're talking about from Strixhaven is magma opus yeah magma opus and it's an eight mana instant that like you draw two cards you make a four four you deal four damage divided as you choose and you like tap two permanents so not really worth it for eight mana but it's also got is it hybrid mana yep two hybrid mana of the is it variety or the prismari variety (laughs) and you discard it to make a treasure so like that card with anything that can cast a spell from your graveyard it, you know it enables that but torrential gearhawk definitely sounds like an awesome way of doing that but maybe a mizix's mastery but also in this mystical archive we have faithless looting you can faithless looting discard an ultimatum or a mind's desire or whatever put that in your graveyard mizix's mastery to cast it pretty early like i you know you could probably do a turn three pretty reliably there's a million man rocks in historic mm-hmm. There's Colts to Heart now, it was just printed in the last anthology. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you go turn one Faithless Looting, discard a giant spell, turn two Mana Rock, turn three Mizzix's Mastery, like, that's probably pretty powerful. Yeah. Turn three Ultimatums are very strong. Yeah. <laughs> right. If it's Emergent Ultimatum or uh, Genesis Ultimatum, like, that's a pretty strong thing to be doing that early in the game. Emergent ultimatum, go grab Valky and Vorinclex and Mind's Desire. Well, <laughs> just for fun. <laughs> I definitely could, ca- could grab Mind's Desire, but you're probably getting like time warp. Like, yeah. you can get like two time warps and something. So, 
you know, a time warp or ends epiphany something. So you're definitely getting an extra turn and maybe you're getting two or you're getting the time warp and something. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I This might be quite good. I, I like we don't get zombify for spells. This is a, the only version of that effect and I could see it being really powerful. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm down with that. Now, of course, this is all, uh, you know, assuming your opponent doesn't have a Graft Digger's Cage in play. Well, who plays Time Historic, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's... Wait, doesn't Mizzix Mastery get around Graft Digger's Cage? Oh, it, it exiles it, doesn't it? All right. We're in business, man. Yeah, it exiles it. It's just like Mind's Desire, which also is good against Graft Digger's Cage. Yeah. Mind's Desire... Okay, well, I get we're talking about the storm cards now. We're we're just okay. We're we've moved on to tier one. This is the holy we shit. We call this tier. the storm tier. Yeah, this is the, <laughs> the holy shit tier. We've, the storm scale is out the window. We've gotten reprints now of Mind's Desire, Tendrils, and Grape Shot. Just getting. We're all about put, the bolt scale now, <laughs> which is not allowed. No <laughs> yeah. bolt allowed. Yeah, so we've got the storm cards. Mind's Desire you know incredible raw power tendrils really classic wing condition where you don't need that much storm honestly to kill your opponent with the tendrils and grape shot the fixed storm card that it turns fixed out tendrils. yeah fixed tendrils that it turns out just doesn't like what like people are smart they'll figure out a way to make the storm card kill their opponent even just one damage is fine we'll do it we have remand like whatever I, mean, I remember killing people in Popper with Grape Shot yeah. when it was legal. <laughs> and that was really hard because all your cards were just like busted legacy level rituals and cantrips. But you had to like cast 20 spells like the hard way. Yeah. And it was very difficult to like get card advantage because anything that's like Past in Flames is going to be a rare. Yeah. So you play just a million ideals unbound, but you still kill them. Yeah. That Grape Shot is not legal in Popper anymore. Nope. Neither is uh, Temporal. Uh, fissure, temporal fissure, bounce up boomerang with storm, or into the warrens. <laughs> yeah, storm bounce all of your lands is a pretty, pretty terrible play pattern. Well, it's not just your lands; it's it's your lands, and then you know if you've got copies left over, your other products stuff. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, uh, mind's desire is a really good. Sort of like I think Bolus Citadel is kind of the default way that you start off building these combo decks, these storm decks. Mizer is a great backup for that because it gets around most of the hate for Bolus Citadel, like Grafticker's Cage included. Yeah, one of the so what Mizer actually does is six mana sorcery. You shuffle your library, exile a top card, and until in turn you can just cast that card for free, and it has storm. So the joke is you can just mind desire into other cards like it doesn't literally kill your opponent but it usually puts you so far ahead especially if you get another mind's desire mm -hmm. that you're just gonna win that turn anyway with something you exiled yeah uh notably tendrils of agony usually goes in this mind's desire deck so you just cast desire if you get a tendrils on on the like first go of it you're you know you probably win the game mm -hmm. uh, if you hit like a mind's desire or a physics's mastery you can just go again after you're casting all your spells, because they're not in a set order, like we mentioned earlier. Like, if you cast this for Storm as four, Exile Mind's Desire first, you just set that to the side, <laughs> exile your other three cards, cast them, and then cast your Mind's Desire. Yeah. And I mean, it counts. Like, your Storm gets doubled each time you do this. Like, mm -hmm. 
It's you can't hit lands, which sure. sucks. Sure. But you can also play the lands off of Mind's Desire. Mm-hmm. It lets you do that, so you you don't waste a land drop if you can like cast a brainstorm from your hand or whatever. Sure. And the reason we bring up bulls as Citadel so much is because all the storm cards are so good with rituals, and there's none in historic. But bulls of Citadel is kind of a ritual. It gives you a ton of cards mm-hmm. or a ton of mana to use with your top card. Yeah, and it's very good in particular with tendrils because tendrils just gives you the life back to keep casting more spells it's kind of similar to the like brain freeze underworld breach thing where you'd breach to fuel your comboing and then you'd you'd brain freeze them to death yeah and, and tendrils is the the drain two storm card yes and grape shot is the deal one storm card which is it's plenty man any storm card that does a thing that if you do it enough your opponent dies is a good enough card given a large enough card pool uh the question is does historic have the supporting cast to make these cards as good as they have been in the past because they have been fundamentally broken they've all gotten banned somewhere and or or at least i guess i guess tendrils didn't get banned anywhere did it but mm, tendrils is not banned but i know that mind's desire was the main culprit of letting tendrils walk free right because like everyone really liked storm like the people who like storm really like it so back in the day when wizards cared about what people liked and wanted to keep playing <laughs> uh they would just like try to make compromises one of those was just banning mind's desire everywhere and leaving tendrils around yeah because the best version, the best storm card is is Mind's Desire. You can just Mind's Desire into tendrils and kill your opponent really easily. Right. You also don't need a high storm count for Mind's Desire to possibly win you the game. Like a decent number of games have been won by, man, you got a lot of my resources, but I can just barely put together a Mind's Desire for four, and oh, there's another Mind's Desire. You're dead. Yeah. Or sometimes it's just tendrils, and they're just a little too low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, Storm's quite a mechanic. I will say that I think the deck is really difficult to build in Historic because of the lack of rituals. And there's really good hate for it in the format. Sure. Which is deafening silence. Yeah, one mana Arcane Lab. That's no joke. Storm is really, really hard to beat deafening silence in Legacy. Like, you bounce it with Chain of Vapor or whatever. But bounce spells aren't good. Mm -hmm. You don't really want to play them. So anytime Storm is good, everyone could just jam Deafening Silences in their sideboard, and all of a sudden Storm has to like bend over backwards to try and get rid of them. Sure. It's not, it's not a formula for... Like, unless someone figures out a Storm Shell that is just super consistent and highly like explosive, which I currently haven't seen, I don't really see Storm being like... Unbeatable. Depressive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and one, one one of the ways to build Storm, because we don't have actual rituals, kind of the best that you can do, the only, like, card that puts you up mana, really, is, like, Mox Amber. So it's possible that one way of building this deck is artifact heavy, like an Emery version or something like that. You don't have engineered explosives, but you do have Ratchet Bomb. So, you know, that may be a kind of catch-all, hate card killer kind of thing. Ratchet Bomb is very slow, though. Yeah, you can also play like Underworld Breach. Mm-hmm. 
like a normal Underworld Breach deck, and maybe you don't play like my or Tendrils of Agony, but you can play a Grape Shot or some Vines Desires, yep. depending on how high you get in mana. Yeah. And that could be a way to like make your combo deck attack from a different angle. Sure. I have no doubt that the Storm cards will show up. Yeah. They're so powerful. Yep. They're just unreal. There's a reason they don't print them anymore. Yeah. There's a reason that the scale is named the Storm Scale. For anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's the mechanics they won't print anymore on a scale from one to storm <laughs> where one is like flying right <laughs> but we got them we're, we've got them and we've got the the marquee ones the the ones that kill your opponents and it would be a crime to not try to do something with them so we'll see can we talk about lightning helix because i don't like that this one is in the holy shit tier and you have to explain it to me it's really fucking good Okay, so Lightning Helix, Red White, deal 3, gate 3 yep. to anything. Yeah. Why? It's really good. It's just, like, a perfect answer to three toughness creatures when you're, when the format has a lot of them, which it does, including in relatively aggressive decks, answering a Rakdos Arcanist or a Mayhem Devil or whatever with a Lightning Helix is a really good way of doing that. If there's any aggressive decks in the format, Lightning Helix is the best removal spell you can possibly have against them like yeah that's true that is really true i mean it, that's just it and if there is a red white aggressive deck in the format this is a great burn spell to have in that deck because we don't have bolt the only way to deal three damage is by paying two mana for it and if you can gain three life along the way then that's pretty good like yeah, you get huge headway yeah with that so that's yeah i didn't think about that i was mostly comparing it to the new strixhaven card which is not it doesn't gain you life, and it's a sorcery, but it, like is also a disenchant. Yeah, I mean that card's great too, for sure. Yeah, it's just different than Lightning Helix. It, it doesn't gain the life, which is the reason like you'd want to play Lightning Helix, right? I, I just you know it's so backbreaking when you play a two drop in your aggressive deck and it gets Lightning Helixed. Yeah. Okay. It's been a while since that's happened to me. Since right, the Lightning Helix is in every cube. Red White's garbage, so I never play against exactly. It. And I think just like, I don't know, if you've ever been in old modern playing burn against Jeskai control and then they go lightning helix, snapcaster, lightning helix. And it's just like, <laughs> boy, I shouldn't have signed up for this tournament. Yeah, I guess I'm going home. <laughs> it's just a removal spell, but I think that it actually is good enough to make it into the very upper echelon of, of cards here. So that's why I put it there. Okay. Can can we keep skipping around your carefully ordered list? Oh, this I I didn't organize them within the tiers, so we can keep skipping oh, around. I didn't put I didn't put Lightning Helix as the the like top the last card we should talk about today, the most important thing in the set or anything like. I was kind of hoping it would be because you're gonna blow my mind or something. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just Bolt plus Healing Self, but that's really good. Yeah, an incredible card and a bad card yeah. combined to make like a pretty good one. Yeah. I want to talk about the, the Modern Horizons 2 card, which looks to be like a common or an uncommon for Modern Horizons 2, but it's just a rare in this set. <laughs> yeah, this is Abundant Harvest. This is one green, name land or non-land, 
uh, reveal cards from the top of your library until you hit that, put it in your hand, and then, what, put the rest on the bottom in a random order, I assume? I'm not actually looking yeah, at the card. Yeah, the bottom in a random order. And it's just a single green mana. Mm -hmm. It's not two mana. It's just mana value one Yes. on this thing. Yes. Sorry, I, that's what I meant to say, but I guess I said it in an unclear way. Yeah, the more I think about this card, the better I think it is. Um, I, I just think that a lot of green decks that are trying to put stuff together are going to run it. Like, Matt, you're... you're Explore Gross Spiral Time Warp Jack. You want four of this in there, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I. So this got a lot better to me when someone compared it to uh, Lay of the Land. Mm -hmm. It's just a Lay of the Land that scales way better. Like, if I can keep this in every opener I'm going to, right. it will get me a land. And if I just draw them, I will get a spell. It is. And that's kind of what you want cantrips to do. Yeah, it is very Once Upon a Time like to me, honestly. Like, it's worse in decks that are trying to cast Llanowar Elves on turn one, but it's way better in decks that don't have great turn one plays. I was thinking more of it in the lines of, like, Ponder or Opt, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's probably closer to those, honestly. Yeah, I, th I think this card's just good now. <laughs> I was underwhelmed by it before. I'm just like, oh, it's just like a one-mana cycle. Yeah. But the fact that you get to pick if you're drawing a land or not is pretty important. <laughs> That's, like, a lot of what you're doing every time you're casting ponder anyways is like yeah do i want to land or do i want to spell like it doesn't really matter which is the one that i'm getting off of this but i i'm trying to get my ratio correct so yeah and, and only some of the time like i guess it's less relevant for ponder because you're always looking at three cards sometimes <laughs> four because that card is ponder is just insane. absurd but it, it like comparing it to opt you're pretty much being like Okay, I want a land or a spell, and I'm going to bottom whatever isn't that. Yeah. Right. Like, imagine if this card were blue or red, and you were playing it in Phoenix, it would be the best card in the deck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I will not draw a land. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so just the more I think about this card, the better it is in my head. But we are also getting a classic cantrip. We're just, we're just getting Brainstorm. Wait. Oh, okay, I was wondering if you were going to go with Faithful Sitting or Brainstorm with that lead. Yeah, I mean, similar categories of brokenness, but in completely different ways. Yeah, Faithful Sitting is the Brainstorm of Modern. Right, and Brainstorm is the Brainstorm of Legacy. Yeah. We don't have Fetchlands, so temper your expectations accordingly. This is not the same Brainstorm as it is in Legacy. However... It's, it's a lot closer to the Brainstorm you see in Vintage Cube or Legacy Cube. Yeah. While you don't have the fetch lands, like you are playing it in a constructed format, unlike in cube, where often like you got your A's and you got your B's. And if you put them together in the right way, like your opponent is just destroyed. So uh, it seems unlikely to me that Brainstorm doesn't do a ton, whether it's in Bolus Citadel decks where it's fantastic, you know, digs you towards the, the Citadel, hopefully, which and maybe resigns you to like, I'm not going to find Bolus Citadel before they kill me this game, I guess. Which is fine, honestly. That's an, like brainstorm locking yourself. It's not a real thing. Is, yeah, it's it's something people think of like as like I need fetch lands, so I never get brainstorm locked. But like when you don't have access to fetch lands, and you just use a brainstorm and you draw three cards, they're not useful to you, and you have to put two cards back, and you know you're not going to win the game. That just means you saved yourself two turns of knowing you weren't gonna, <laughs> not knowing you weren't going to win the game. Right. It does become even more important. It's always been important to hold your brainstorm for a long time. 
when you don't have mm-hmm. fetch lands, like it becomes even more important to hold your brainstorm for a long time. You like you want to figure out the last turn you can cast your brainstorm to try to find your bolus citadel. But we do have fabled passage, so it's not like you're completely on you're completely fetch land free. It's really good with anything that lets you clear your library. Like brainstorm with a bolus citadel in play is just like absolutely nuts. I like it with abundant harvest to clear the lands off the top. You know, there's plenty of things. Tamio as well, uh, Collector of Tales. Oh, yeah, that's great. Excellent, because you get a card back if you want it. Like, if you want to put a card on top that you want to name, yeah. you can do that. Yeah. This uh, Time Warp deck has too many good cards. I know. That's why I was so high on Time Warp. Yeah, geez. Everything is, like, incredibly powerful in that deck. Yeah. The only thing you have to worry about is not dying. Because you will assemble your thing very quickly. You have, like, it's just a guarantee. Like, like what is the deck? Like, eight good cantrips, like, eight explorers, eight, eight. a yeah. bunch of good time warps, some planeswalkers, maybe search for Ascanta, maybe fogs. Like, that's a deck. You're done. Like Some regrowths, of which Tamio is also one. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty high on the time warp strategy. Uh, I imagine it's going to be, like, really bad against Arclight Phoenix. Which is a, a deck will, that will spring up with the interruption of Brainstorm and Faith of Sooty. Because that's a really fast deck that can... Well, like with Brainstorm and Faith of Sooty, you can get Arc Life Phoenixes really early and put them in the graveyard and bring them back into play mm-hmm. while backing that up with counter spells. Like, this is... like if Phoenix seems like a deck of memory lapse would be incredible because in, you, you just time walk them, essentially. Sure, I can see that. We are probably not an Electromancer deck anymore. Because we have I one mana so. cantrips, we have playable cards instead of bad cards, which is, you know, the classic, like, I have a Baral in play and then I remand your spell for one mana isn't really a thing we're putting together, but. Yeah, we play Baral in Modern because we have Piratic Ritual, and we don't play Baral in Legacy because we have Dark Ritual. Yes, correct. <laughs> and the, right, and the Historic Phoenix deck is a lot closer to a Legacy type thing. I mean, we don't have Mana Morphos, so no. you're never going to just, like, put two phoenixes in play on turn two that's not gonna happen but you can phoenix on turn three a lot more easily now and the the twos in the deck i I think this is really key is making sure your turn two is good for the format like in modern that was like thing in the ice was really really good against everybody who didn't have fatal push thing in the ice was a massive clock against the the big mana or the combo decks uh it was great against the creatures it, it just did like so much in historic i think a lot of the power of the phoenix deck is gonna come from like is sprite dragon good and if it is then i think the deck is gonna be fantastic i i think the the phoenix deck is gonna be really really good like it we just watched it in pioneer this weekend me and you and that format is really slow to turn phoenixes on like and you can't dump them at all like your times a horrendous magic card. yeah but that's the only thing that lets you discard phoenixes so people are playing a couple of them mm-hmm. and strategic planning which chart is chart of course yeah chart of course is good strategic planning is good especially because it's insane with treasure cruise mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's essentially what the phoenix deck is in pioneer it's just like a slow treasure cruise deck mm-hmm. that eventually puts me in single playing because you'll probably pretty quickly right in historic and in modern with the amount of one mana cantrips you can have 
It's just way, way, way faster. You don't need to play like a slow control deck. You also have Lightning Axe in Historic. I believe it's in one of the anthologies. Yeah. Wait, do you really have Lightning Axe? In? Hold on. I said yeah, but wait, I didn't even realize. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's in Jumpstart. Whew. Okay. And that, like, you know, in Pioneer, that's the way that you actually get your Phoenix into the graveyard in a tempo positive way. Uh, is you, you mm -hmm. Lightning Axe it in, and then you cast a couple more spells, and you're in business. I feel like I could have said anything was legal and historic, and you would have agreed with oh, me. Oh, absolutely. Except for the seven <laughs> cards from the Mystical Archive that are banned. Those I know are not legal and historic. Like Natural Order. Natural Order would be really good. There's already an Elves deck that's like not quite good enough, but Crater Hoof Behemoth is legal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think Phoenix is going to be really, really good. And that's, I mean, Phoenix is the other card in this holy shit tier. <laughs> for kind of obvious reasons yeah not only that reason like faithless looting is as good as brainstorm is pretty much mm -hmm. in just a different way it's going to do so much i can't imagine all of the ways that it's going to affect this format but obviously if phoenix is good it's going to be entirely because of faithless looting uh there's going to be croxa decks that are made way better by faithless looting existing not having to cast your croxa front side and get it into the graveyard from your hand. That's a big deal. Yeah, Faithless Living is one of the more busted cards they've printed in the modern era. Just like if you want to reanimate things at all, Faithless Looting is way better at getting the stuff into your graveyard than anything else is. With Mizzix's Mastery, Faithless Looting does a thing. And uh, even with like Storm, it's possible that Faithless Looting is like part of the equation there. It's not the most traditional thing because it costs you a card when you cast it. You go down a card and Storm doesn't love that. But we're going to have to build our Storm decks pretty differently than traditional ritual-based Storm decks. So uh, card selection is going to be really important and, you know, who knows. I also think Faithless Living would be really good in Underworld Breach decks you want to try to build. Oh, sure. Because those are decks that already try to utilize the graveyard. And if you're dumping cards into your graveyard for escape, mm -hmm. and you just dump some flashback cards into your graveyard that allow you to set up your further turns, yeah. that's pretty good too. I mean, yeah, like escape is just a mechanic that we have access to for different purposes now. Like maybe there's a Faithless Looting Oxivagonus deck. Like that might exist. Yeah, looting is going to be really good. There's so many things you can do with it. I, I want to talk about the art extremely briefly, okay. but not like what you would expect. Okay. <laughs> because I'm tired of talking about the like base version of the art. Oh, me too. I just enjoy that there's a, a Japanese version and the original version. Mm -hmm. is essentially the exact same art direction. It's just a person with a fire cup in both hand and one is overturned and the other isn't. Yep. And that's like depicting the looting. It's the same exact pose and everything. Clearly in both cards. Just working off of the same art description, yeah. And it's I just was I wasn't expecting that because all of the Japanese cards for the most part are just extremely different from their English counterparts. Mm -hmm. But this one's almost exactly the same, despite like art style differences obviously. Yeah. I noticed that too. It is really funny. So as long as you're like are into the that concept of faithless looting art, then you get to choose which style you want it in. And I like I like the uh, a lot of the Japanese art a lot. Yeah, I, and I also the arrangement with the the vertical card name 
I think is a really stunning card layout that that works really really well. Yeah, only kind of works in Japanese, of course. Yeah, yeah, it's nice though. It it lends the cards to being like looking super unique. This only really works for people who can read Japanese, but that method, that arrangement means that like a right-handed person holding a hand of cards, you have the name of the card in the left corner of each one. Like that alone makes me think like, boy, it would be really cool to know how to read Japanese. That would be sick. It kind of makes me wish the Japanese cards were just printed like that normally. It seems so. It's kind of like what they tried with the uh, Future Sight frames where they had everything left mm-hmm. aligned. Yeah. You know, you'll never have a hand that's all mystical archive cards. So that never like works. But you know, I could dream. There's just something really aesthetically pleasing about that. The last card in the holy shit tier is Inquisition of Kozilek. This is a format that has Thoughtseize Inquisition in it now. Uh, yeah, what? What? I, it's so weird the direction they're doing with historic. But honestly, yeah, go for it. Whatever. You just printed a ton of storm cards in the format, so more disruption. Go ham. Yeah, I I agree. Um, and Inquisition is probably weaker in this format than like it is in modern. You know, we have a lot more four plus mana spells in this format. And a mm-hmm. lot of them That's are the true. important ones. You can't Inquisition a Collected Company. You can't Inquisition a Bolus of Citadel. You can't Inquisition a Mind's Desire. You can't Inquisition a Muxus. Yeah. A Corvold, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And these are the, the core engine pieces of these decks. I wonder how many Brainstormers will fall to Eternal One Inquisition. <laughs> oh, but you also get to Brainstorm away your cards in response to the which yeah that's what i meant yeah. in a in a non-fetchland format that can often be like the most powerful thing that you're going to be able to do with a brainstorm in a game is protect your key pieces from a, a thoughtsies mm-hmm. yeah i i'm really excited for this brave new world of historic like if we just kept putting standard sets into historic it like it just feels like a big standard and i wouldn't be pumped about it I kind of wish that they had opened it up a little bit more and put all the cards in, but, and this could be a disaster. Like maybe like having storm and faithless suiting in there just destroys it. and makes the, like really upsets the balance of power and makes it unfun. But there wasn't anything going on there that I was interested in anyways. So like when you're committed to chaos mode, adding to cards to a format, Mm -hmm. like you're with historic, I think you just kind of have to embrace it, and I like that they're doing that. Yeah. I mean, I will complain about never knowing what's legal still, but at least all of these specific cards stand out enough. Right. I mean, outside of, like, Divine Gambit and whatever nonsense. Which is legal, which is standard legal, so it was in there anyways. Like, Yeah. I, I won't have to be like, all right, is Lightning Axe legal? Oh, yes, it was in the Lightning Jumpstart pack. Right. Like, like I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, all of these ones we went over, and now we're gonna remember them if they see any play. Like, you're not gonna be like, oh yeah, time warp is like time warp is legal. <laughs> Brainstorm is legal. Right. Like these are big we, deals. We, you put time warp too low, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I, I th- that that is my big screw up from this list that I that we know so far. We'll see. We'll see where else I have screwed up as time goes on. Yeah, I'm excited. Oh yeah, the, the divine gambit thing. You know, I I thought at first, like, this is a clear indication that they really thought they, like, did something by printing Divine Gambit. But with the revitalized printing, it's clear that it's just, like, they just didn't... White spells suck. They didn't have anything to put into those uncommon slots in white. And hey, the Divine Gambit art in Japanese is so good. Boy, if only that card did a thing. 
I mean, you can just make up what it does if you're playing at a table. <laughs> no one can read Japanese in America. Yeah, but it says white, white on it. Yeah, so how good could it be? Right. <laughs> it looks like it summons a Yosei from your deck. <laughs> it's not bad for white, white. No, it's pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, we, we had a couple of Patreon questions this week, but this episode's running pretty long, mm -hmm. so maybe we save them for next time. We can answer this one question. Yeah, yeah, okay, sure. So Dubes asks, how do you guys feel about the Snarl lands, both in general in this set and more overall as a design? So let's, let's step back. Let's take a look at Mystical Archive. Just like stunning art direction card design home run like makes me excited about historic this thing is doing they are doing the most with mystical archive yeah, if you could tell me like two months ago wizards is going to make me excited about historic i've been like yeah right. right so so to me this mystical archive at this point in time is a home run in every single way imaginable i am absolutely in love with it with the concept of it and the execution i think is spectacular if you asked me to come up with the opposite of that, I could not until you showed me the Snarl lands. They are just the most disappointing thing I've seen in Magic <laughs> in a minute. Screw these cards. I hate these cards. So to me, these lands kind of split everyone down into two camps. The people who just completely hate them think they're just utter garbage. And the other camp is the people who have played with them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so these are... We've finished the the cycle of lands where you have to reveal a basic... Or you have to reveal a land with that land type from your hand. So, so you know, the this is the enemy colored cycle. So the whatever, the, the white-black snarl. You can reveal a plains or a swamp from your hand in order to make it come into play untapped. Except you just never do that. It just comes into play tapped all the time it's very specifically doesn't work with the multicolored or the the multi-land type lands we have because what do you yeah. what do you do i, I think like like use a posted like this will make some interesting <laughs> play decisions with like the the triumphs but it doesn't you just get to choose which of your lands is coming into play tapped on turn two like not super interesting it's not like you look at your hand and you're like well don't get to cast anything until turn three like absolute disaster of a land cycle so these saw play in standard because they were the only things you could play in standard. Yes. And they were not very good. They were quite bad. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, I believe Choked Estuary, which is the blue-black one. Yeah, it was the worst card in Inverter. Yeah, it's the saw play in Inverter because you know what Pioneer doesn't have anything of? Allied, Allied duels. good duel lands. <laughs> <laughs> so in your double black triple blue deck you needed to play something that tapped for more than two colors and choked estuary came into play untapped i don't know like five percent of the time right. and you took that no, and and i'm not kidding when i say like this dual land was the worst card in the deck like every card in the deck was better than it yeah these these lands are horrendous i don't know why they wanted to give them more I, so i posted on twitter which i know you saw the uh when they when Morrow teased out that they were completing a dual land cycle on the enemy things, I'm like, oh yeah, we're gonna finally get the enemy port towns everyone loves. And then we and I was being did. 
I was being very uh, playful because there's no way in hell anyone likes these cards even a little bit. No, that like this is probably the worst dual land cycle that they've the worst rare dual land cycle that they've done in modern times. Certainly, like do, the Kamigawa delay land. Although I guess those were uncommon, right? Those were uncommon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, these really are just like as close to guild gates as you can be, and they're kind of worse than guild gates because they trick you if you haven't played with them into thinking that they're gonna just oh yeah these are the standard dual lands, but they they honestly just don't work, and they particularly don't work with multi land multiple land type lands that come into play tapped. They functionally don't work with those. The only like thing that they help is two color decks i think that are able to run a bunch of basics and want to cast spells on like like a red white deck that has a red one drop and a white one drop in it this these lands are okay in that type of deck the problem though which is gonna come up all the time is that pathways are really 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 good mm -hmm. and i don't have land types right so you're playing some snarls in your red white deck. You're gonna chalk up on pathways first, and you always want one of those. But then you draw your snarls, and you're like, "Oh, god, this card sucks." Yep. Or if you keep a two land hand, and you're like, "Yeah, I've got, you know, I'm on the draw. I've got three draw steps to hit my third land," and then you do on your third draw step, and it's one of these. It comes into play tapped. I mean, every time you're. you're you might just lose because of that. And the upside is like you draw it on turn two and you're like, okay, I guess if I draw another one, we can play that one untapped and you draw a planes and you can reveal it. And you're like, yeah, but then you realized you just like used two draw steps to make one of your lands come to play untapped. Right. And you really need to be keep doing things. And it's not a good feeling. <laughs> In at least 90% of games, the Dragon Skull Summit cycle is just way better than this. Because if you have the land of that land type, then you just play it first. And then all your check lands come to play untapped. And it works out beautifully. You play your Triome, play your Dragon Skull Summit. I, I can cast my spells. Yeah, this is... And then to add insult to injury, the names are awful. They're just word and then snarl. So it's like... They've... Is a snarl even a thing? Like I know what snarl means in English, but when, it's, it's like the face you make when you see these lands, right? But <laughs> well, well uh, it's not a landmark. Things can become like ensnarled, so I guess that's what is happening here. I I don't know, but yeah, the names are bad. It's really weird that they like finish a land cycle and then half of the cycle all has one word in the name and the other half of the cycle doesn't the arts are bad they all look exactly the, like the same thing but just different colors and then the flavor texts are all bad they're just all like thing and opposite thing and it's just really boring like everything about these lands is like offensive to me so yes it's kind of a weird flavor thing too with uh the fast lands the first five were Mirrodin. They're very Mirrodin named. Sure. Like why the white blue one is Sea Chrome Coast. But Chrome has C on it. Right. Or what C has Chrome Razor on it. Razor Verge. Just, just the ones in Mirrodin. Yeah. Yeah. But you and then we go to Kaladesh and they're all like kind of generic named, so they can be repented a bunch. Mm -hmm. But like It's forgivable because no they're good. really Yeah, no one cares that they don't match up because those cards are excellent. Yeah. 
and the dark slick shores cycle should have been repented i don't know like four times by now yeah. maybe even in this set at least <laughs> just throw... into pioneer please it it hurts my soul in that <laughs> they looked at the state of pioneer mana which has a million enemy lands yep. that are all good including the kaladesh fast lands and the pain lands only the enemy pain lands. Yeah. unreal and they said, you know what we need? Because we're, we're building an enemy set. We're going to give them shadow fast, shadow lands. <laughs> and it's just allied color decks are rolling in their graves in Pioneer. They're just like, I mean, what is going on? Yeah, rolling in their graves because they are not playable. You can barely now with the pathways build a functional girl mana base and it's still a little iffy. It is still a little, and you have to slant very heavily towards greed because light or else. Yeah. And one of your <sighs> dual lands doesn't cast land or elves on turn one still, but you just have to have it in there. Yeah, man. These snarls are. It's pretty, pretty upsetting, actually. Like, I don't know. I, I the, the fact that they like just clearly didn't put any effort into the execution of the lands like they know these are really bad. And I just don't want to play with them. It honestly just feels like they printed them to complete a cycle. Mm -hmm. That no one wanted to be completed. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you could have printed the cycling lands for Mom and Ken that were enemy, Mm -hmm. which wouldn't have been fantastic in standard, but people don't hate them because they do something. Yeah, a little redundant with Triumphs to do that right now. I agree, but it's not... I mean, I'd rather have them than Snarls. Right. (laughs) You could have printed the Tango Lands from Battle for Zendikar, which still have enemy versions, which would not be great right now, because Pathways and Triumphs yeah, you don't have a ton of take up so much real estate. But at least it works with Fabled Passage instead of explicitly not working with Fabled Passage. Yes, like at least those cards are playable in like Pioneer. Mm-hmm. The these ones aren't. Yeah, they're not playable in any. They're not even playable in standard. I mean, they are because they're dual lands and you don't have that much options, but you really do not want to play these. Yeah, I mean, they just are bad. I shouldn't let myself get this worked up over a dual land cycle, but uh, they're really bad. I'm getting worked up over what should have been. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing is we only ever have so many dual lands in standard. Like you have to put these into your mana base some amount of the time and they're really going to disappoint you and they're going to make you lose games that like Basically, no other well, lands would make you lose. I mean, for right now, you can just play temples instead mm-hmm. because they're just generally better. Yeah. Which says something because temples are not played very often. Right. <laughs> and, and I mean, like this set is going to encourage you to play two color enemy color decks. And I mean, in that in that specific scenario of two color decks of the enemy colors where you're not that concerned that your land comes into play tapped, your fifth land comes into play tapped or whatever. Like, yes, these can be okay. But there still is the scenario of like, I need to draw my third land and it is a snarl and now I'm going to lose. Like, and that's going to happen a reasonable amount of the time. Yeah, or at least, you know, like putting temples in here, that's kind of what you're getting into. Right, right. And then you add extra lands accordingly or whatever, like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm done talking about snarls. Yeah, that's that's probably enough for today. Until we like get to them when we're talking about spoilers next week, and we just go. 
But that's that's a bad ending to the episode. The main the upshot of this episode is Mystical Archive is really cool and they did the impossible, which is like I want to play historic when this comes out. I want to play minus six letters so bad. Yeah, we haven't we've just basically never been allowed to like when's the last time you get to cast a minus desire? Probably take 2008 yeah. before rotated out. Extended. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm hype. Also, one thing that people commented on, which I agree with and found hilarious, was all of these spoilers dropping during the Pro Tour, making, like, Standard look silly because there's a whole new set coming out, and then making Historic look very ridiculous because the pros are all playing Historic 1.0, and we're about to move into an entirely new era of that format. Historic 3.5. Yeah, we're going up a couple gens. Yeah. <laughs> they need to hold the PTs earlier again. Like... Uh, yes, it's really important, I think. Because it's... The Pro Tours were always so cool. Not just because, like, they were tabletop and, like, a bigger event, and I cared more personally about them. But, like, for instance, this weekend we did coverage, right? And I didn't get to watch much of the Pro Tour because of that. But I also didn't make an effort to watch the Pro Tour. Right. But, like, the the cool thing about the tabletop Pro Tours was they were all super early into a set's life cycle. So you got to see early on before everyone became jaded to know what the best text were, mm-hmm. like what people were going to do with the new cards. Yeah. And there was some benefit to pushing it back, allowing the people who didn't have these established testing teams in order to get a foothold in the format and learn what to do and stuff. And they that that was a nice thing. But there's some middle ground here. You can't have the PT during spoiler season of the next set. Yeah. And spoiler season seems to be always happening now. So True. <laughs> Maybe maybe do it, you know, a couple weeks, three weeks after the set drops. Yeah. That's a, I think that's a healthy ground, because it used to be just the week after the set dropped, and that was... It was sick rushed. to watch, but... Yeah. yeah. I, I would still watch the three weeks after one, because the metagame's still churning then. Right. But it's still enough time for people to play, like... So, like, for instance, in Kaladesh, red-white vehicles was the, like, the deck of the first week. Mm-hmm. It's It won the SCG Open. Right. And the Pro Tour was the very next weekend, and I think Grixis showed a one with Grixis because mm-hmm. of course he did. Yeah. <laughs> but but red white vehicles was like on the on the way to becoming stone unplayable by that point in the format yeah exactly if you move it three weeks in you get time enough to play red white vehicles know that it's not that great and then move on to like mardu vehicles which is actually very mm-hmm. good yep and you know, establish the classic Mardu vehicle sideboard plan at that point, which is like, I'm a control deck with all planeswalkers now. Like, you'd have gotten there. Yeah, I'm Shoda now. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me. I have unlicensed disintegrations too. I miss watching Paper Magic. I, miss, I mean, I certainly miss playing Paper Magic the most, but watching Pro Tours was a very cool thing. Yeah, for sure. And it also helps that, like, we get to remember the good stuff and not the bad ones. Like, I could bring up uh, Primeval Titan, Kessig Wolf Run. Pro Tour, where I watched Junya Yanaga pile shuffle for like 40 minutes or something. <laughs> sure. I mean, that's fair. Which, that was, if you weren't around back then, it was a while ago. Uh, Brian David Marshall, great, absolutely stand up person, very, very good commentator, practiced extraordinary, just broke. He just couldn't stand it anymore. <laughs> and neither could the viewers. It's a lot of pressure on a commentator because when nothing is happening, it is your job then to entertain the audience. 
and when just like shuffling keeps happening like that like yeah man that that's rough that's a rough ride to be on my heart went out to him at that moment i feel all right well this episode has gone on yeah yeah we can we can call yeah, it let's, let's wrap things up thanks everybody so much for sticking around for this long really appreciate it hopefully there's some good takeaways here if you want to lend us some support, you can head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week. Bye.